Hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes. You're listening to episode 38 of the premier recap and reactions podcast for the legendary 1988 science fiction OVA. We've done it, my friends. We've arrived at our destination across the Sea of Stars. It's a bittersweet feeling, but we're not quite done yet. As always, I'm your host, G. And with me, as always, here and ready to finish the fight, my co-host, Eero. I'm still here, finally, at the end. I've made it all the way. We made it. We made it all the way. We made it to the end of an era. It's been over a year. We live in a post-Legend of Galactic Heroes era. <laughs> I was born in a post-Legend of Galactic Heroes era. Uh, uh, details, details. <laughs> After all, does does a work not exist in the time that you experience it or, or something? <laughs> sure. uh, I Let's don't know. That. My point is, my point is, my dear co-host. Uh huh. No more speculation. It's true. No more jokes about the Seven Eleven. Well, maybe. <laughs> don't 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 say that yet. We've only just started today. <laughs> We've only started this podcast. I'll find a way to shoehorn in our Seven Eleven alternate universe in here somehow. But never again shall we ask what wild and crazy thing the galaxy will throw at us next. Uh-huh. We just have it's to a, We just have to think about that in our minds. In our hearts. You're all you the listener, you are all listening to what will be the final conventional episode of this podcast. And what I mean by that is I don't want to make any promises yet, but what this means is that we will be sunsetting our regular coverage of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Uh-huh. However, like democracy, <laughs> the spirit of the story remains in our hearts, and who can say what the future may bring? Uh-huh. No promises. But, uh, no promises, but I'm just saying, if you've, uh, if you've been along for the ride this whole time, stick around a little bit longer. I don't... This won't be our... This will not be our last ever podcast about the legendary 1988 science fiction OVA, but who can say? With all who that said, indeed. let's let's talk about our last interesting trio of episodes. <laughs> indeed. We, Are you ready, Eero? Yeah, we watched episode 108, Bloodthirsty Brunhilds, episode 109, The Golden Line Flag Loses Its Luster, and episode 110 dream to see it to the end and we saw this show to the end indeed we did but we're gonna start with episode 108 as you yeah. might remember in the prior episode the Iserlone fleet has discovered Reinhardt's uh, infirm condition and have decided to launch a daring boarding attempt and uh, they launched this action on June 1st indeed. Uh, uh, considered a, an auspicious date for it is exactly one year since the death of Yang Wen Li. Mm-hmm. Um, just happened to turn out that way. You know, and weird, that, right? This battle just, happened, yeah. Yeah, another, yeah, yet again, as the narrator loves to point out, in the future, maybe people would point out the auspiciousness of this, <laughs> but at the time, it was just a weird coincidence. Yeah, and so a bunch of people are on the, the Brunhild. All the admirals are now at the Kaiser's bed. Yes. And, uh... We flash back to everyone who's died up till now, and Reinhard 
muses on the uh, appropriateness or perhaps inappropriateness of having a potentially terminal disease. Um, what do they call it? Like some sort of collagen disease. Uh, I believe that the, the subs called it an, an acute collagen disease. Mm-hmm. It is apparently a, a variation of a known disease that they have never seen. <laughs> of course, There's, how convenient. The doctors explain there is no known cause or treatment. Of course, I'm sure, I'm sure for the rest of the history, this will be called Reinhardt's disease. I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> Reinhardt-itis. <laughs> and that... Uh, and that then the, the admirals then ask, well, what does that mean for the young Kaiser? And the doctors just kind of shake their heads and say, prognosis is not good. Like, mm-hmm. Reinhard will not live to see his uh, his elder years. Meanwhile, someone still has to take command of the fleet. And so Mayor Meyer basically says, we can't deal with this right now. Let Bittenfield go after the." Yes, yes. Basically, let Bittenfield off the leash. And uh, Bittenfield is psyched. He is like, oh, hell yeah, it's my time now. I'm going to attack this left flank that looks not that... I'm going to attack this flank that looks unguarded. He he finally goes after the the unmanned fleet (laughs) that has been bothering him this whole time. Just like, this damn fleet just keeps taunting me. It keeps moving back and forth. I'm finally going to give him a... Give him a piece of my mind. And, uh, <laughs> you know, again, I don't mean this to be uh, derogatory towards the good uh, Admiral Attenborough, but Dusty continues to uh, display his specialty in Admiralship, which is pretending to run away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he f- retreats towards Iserlone to let Binfield pursue. Uh, Dusty gets one last uh, one last Dusty Attenborough special and detonates the exploding ships. Hell yeah. Yep. Um, As Black Lanterns are right in the thick of it. Yes. So um, he's like, oh no! And uh, which, that gives a chance basically for some ships to get in close. Yes, yes. Because of the disarray caused by those explosions, the landing shuttles manage to break through the line and uh, ram straight into the Brunhilde. Uh, for the first time in this entire show, the Brunhilde takes physical damage. And uh, the Rosen Ritter, along with Julian and Poplin, uh, begin to board. Yep. Uh, and they basically... We get Reinhard say, you know, they're on the cameras, and Reinhard says... <laughs> well, like, Mueller points out Julian's here. Right. I've met, that, I met that guy. <laughs> right, they're like, basically, like they're like, hold on a second, isn't that the supreme commander of the Israel <laughs> Republic? <laughs> and I guess Reinhardt basically clues in that, oh, if they're bringing their head honcho, they're probably not here just to kill me, they're probably here to parlay. And so Reinhardt sets the terms. He says, if, he's basically like, I like this kid's moxie. If he can reach me, I will meet with him on equal ground. And so... If. Uh, big we, if. If. Big if. Big if, you know. Yep. And he says, and, uh, you know, Mittermeier, Mueller, like, my admirals do not take the field. Let yes, us see he, what this kid is made of. Tragically, yes, he does not tell Mittermeier or Mueller to take the field. And sadly, we don't get to see Mecklinger put on some armor. Uh-huh. Uh, as as funny as it would have been to see those Mechl- admirals what's, in the Mechl- What's Mecklinger's armor weapon? Uh... Again, it's stereotypical, but I always imagine he'd have like a rapier or something, uh-huh. just like stabbing motherfuckers left and right with that thing. You know? <laughs> Mecklinger would pilot a Gion. 
yes, yes, he totally would if we were to make Gundam references here. But, uh, but yeah, so the fight begins. Uh, we find the Rosen River kind of fighting through the hallways against the guards. Uh, Poplin opens, <laughs> kind of takes the first shot with, uh, I won't repeat his words here, but he talks some mad shit to the guards of the Brunhilde. Uh, basically accusing the royal guard of being um, uh-huh. in nicer language, you know, uh, basically a bunch of color guard at best who don't have who don't know what a real fight looks like, and uh, they should go back to waving flags and uh, you know holding each other's cocks, basically. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, um, elsewhere, Bittenfield decides. Um, after learning of the attack and getting frustrated because he can't even turn around and shoot back at risk of harming the Kaiser, that, you know what? I don't give a fuck. You can take the Lancer. You won't have a home to return to. Besides, <laughs> he's just going to push even harder into Isolone and just rip them up. And, Indeed, uh, and Isenak goes with him, basically, yes, to cover yeah. the side. Uh, and the uh, encirclement. Yeah, it basically, basically creates a kill zone for anyone trying to flee the black right, lantern. Right, it's basically a classic hammer and anvil tactic here. Binfield is the hammer, Eisenach is the anvil, basically preventing them from from escaping. And even worse, uh, they kind of pull off a tactic that is similar to what the Iserlone Republic has done time and time again. They sandwich the F- the Iserlone fleet in a way where they cannot use the Thor hammer because yeah. now they are caught between the Thor hammer and Binfield and Eisenach's feet at fleet and. Basically, they decimate the Iserlone fleet. Dusty barely escapes with his life. Yes, and and, uh, Murkat's ship takes the hit. Yes, not so lucky. The Shiva takes a direct hit. And, um, you know, uh, Schneider tries to, you know, Murkat gets crushed under some rubble. Not quite, you know, uh, not quite Roenthal level of, like, (laughs) straight up impaled. But he's not looking in a good place, you know, and... He tells Schneider that, you know, I didn't quite think my life would turn out this way, if I'm being honest, but at least I got to, uh, how did those Iserlone kids put it? I got to fight, Is- I got to fight Reinhard with foppery and win. Uh-huh. He finally got to die fighting at a Reinhard von Lohengram, who yes, defeated yes. the Goldenbaum dynasty. Yes, yes, and <clears throat> uh, it's... You know, we didn't get a lot of Murkats here in the fourth season, but, yeah. you know, just again, another character that will be missed. You know, again, we, He was always kind of one of my personal favorites. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I he mean, didn't again, jump much, like... No, but I think it, I think, I think you make a good point, Ira, though, that, like, just because Murkats wasn't a character with a lot of screen time doesn't mean he wasn't an interesting character. And that kind of speaks to one of the biggest strengths of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, is that even, like... Even in like a few sentences, they really nailed an interesting character with mm-hmm. a very compelling motivation and backstory. You know, like we've said it time and time again, it is a shame we never really got to see Mur- I mean, we kind of get it here in the end, but we never really got an episode about Murkat's wrangling with the reality that right. We like we've talked about it. How yeah, he's well, he didn't really sign up to fight for democracy. He signed up to fight against Reinhard, right. Like, ostensibly, Murkats never really cared about fighting for democracy, but well into season, like, three, hell, even season two, it becomes, like, glaringly obvious that the Golden Bomb dynasty is never coming back, that Murkats will never see his family, that in some ways, Schneider might have saved Murkats' life only 
just really to only him. to right only to doom him you know a few years later and yet he never ran away from that fate i mean there is no reason Murkatz had to stick with the Israel Republic right. after it's Young's not, death. Yeah. It's not even like after Young's death, but like bef- after season two, where they're definitively defeated by the Empire, like, and they tell Murkatz, you know, take take five hundred ships or whatever and get out. Um, right. He didn't have like, to stick around. He didn't. He totally didn't, and yet he did. And. I would have loved like even just one episode to get the interiority of that man and why like of course the show does a good enough job that we can make our own like assumptions about why he he makes those decisions but I would have loved for him to kind of say it out loud like why why did he stay with Yang you know why did he fight for them why did he die for democracy and like I would have loved to have seen like what was the moment on Ezerlone like what was the unseen moment on Ezerlone that convinced him actually this is a cause worth fighting for. I mm. I would have loved to have seen that, but you know, again, just another like really interesting character in a show with maybe a, <laughs> I don't know about hundreds, but at least dozens of interesting yeah. characters, and you know, he yeah. will be missed. Indeed, narrator notes that uh, his battle history uh, was equal to twice that of Reinhard and Jan combined. Yes. Yeah. You know, like dude was an old war, ho- war horse, like, like Bucock, you know, uh-huh. a member of a bygone era. And, you know, again, it is a shame. We will never get our Bucock and Murkats hangout. Yeah. Episode, but... <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this uh, later. Of course, um, of but <laughs> anyways, <laughs> yes, we return to the Brunhilde where the Rosen Ritter are just, massacring oh yeah the empire troops as usual like it's one of those things where i just want to point out real quick like i don't mean this as an indictment of the legend of the galactic heroes fan base but every time i see like pictures and gifs of like hand-to-hand combat it's almost always of the armored grenadiers and it's usually the fight against the earth cult because that is the only time the panzer grenadiers ever actually want to fight yeah and Fighting, like cutting down robe right. motherfuckers and like it's one of those things where prior to watching the ova i didn't even know the fpa had their own hand-to-hand guys i thought that was a unique feature only to the empire because nobody ever talked about the rosen ritter and <laughs> my question to the fan base to people who are listening to this why don't people talk about the rosen ritter more these motherfuckers have never lost a fight in the entirety of their combat career at least on screen like, like, why aren't you all posting gifts of like Shenkop just walking through a hallway casually, cutting down a dozen right. guys? Like, like if like if this having show, a conversation, right? Like, if this show is meant, like, if if Legend of Galactic Heroes was meant to be informed by Yoshiki Tanaka's love of romance of the Three Kingdoms, then <laughs> Shenkop is clearly like fucking Lu Bu incarnate or something, <laughs> like Guan Yu or something. Yeah, because dude is cutting motherfuckers up like Dynasty Warriors. And yet, I never see people post gifts about that. And I'm just like, hmm, I wonder why. But, uh, but yeah, they're, it's just, it's a really great scene. Like, they're just having this, like, hilariously casual conversation. Like, Shenkop is just, like, strolling through right. this hallway of It's, like, corpses. not even trying. Right, he's barely paying attention. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, again, if we want to talk about anybody who fights with foppery and whim, it's the Rosen Ritter. <laughs> like, it feels like even here in their final battle, they're not even taking it that seriously. 
Yes, but uh, Trincott basically tells tells Julian to uh, you need to go go on ahead and meet with the Kaiser. Yeah, uh, whether like, you talk to him or cut his head off, whatever you think is best. And I, you know, I I like how Shinkop will always like advocate for let's cut their heads off and things will be better now. But it's moments like these, and you know, it it was always made clear to me. I think that even though he'll keep saying like let's just kill them, and uh, he'll he still believes in like. He still understands that his superiors, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think at its core, it's that Shenkop is a pragmatic man, and mm. of course, in his heart of hearts, would he prefer if Yang or Julian listened to him a few more times? Maybe, but also, Shenkop understands why these people are the leaders, why they are, why they are the ones in command, yeah. and that, and why they believe in the things they do. And and he accepts that, and he works within that system. You know, he is in many ways like like Bukok. I really actually do like Shenkop as kind of in his own way one of the best displays of like what makes democracy good in this show. Like, of course, I love Yang and his very high minded speeches, but but men like Bukok and Shenkop, uh, they're cut from a more pragmatic cloth. Like, they understand that like things don't always go the way they do in the speeches, but they still, at their core, believe in those ideals. And and so, yeah, Shenkov's basically like, you know, he's basically like, I'll hold him off, you go ahead. Yep. Uh, Shenkov does have a good little bit where he's like, I'll be honest, Julian, I want to tell you right now, there's only one complaint I ever had about Yang Wenli, and that's that Bloomheart died, uh, you know, trying to save him. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, the the implicit like message being, don't let my death be in vain too, you know. I mean, yeah. And, make sure you, know, you make it out of this. Yes, exactly. And so Mashengo and Poplin go with Julian yep. to go uh, to go uh, go find the Kaiser, and then Shenkop like Shenkop, like ah Rose Ritter exclusive. You two don't yeah. count. You have to go with him, right? And then so. Last podcast, we were talking about how like it was in some way strangely fitting that Yang Wen Li would die an anticlimactic death. Uh-huh. In many ways, this episode is all about Shen Kop getting all everything he wants, getting to go out looking like the coolest motherfucker in the galaxy. Shen Kop looks in the helmet of one of his Rosenritter dudes and sees a dude in the reflection. <laughs> fucking aims his pistol backwards and no scope headshots the dude from like without even looking uh-huh. at him just so nonchalant all he has to say Shenkov's just like man i always wanted to pull that off i was <laughs> wanting like, to do that i was like, wanting Jesus. to shoot a guy from behind like, it's like jesus christ Shenkov. um it's the fafrin win man yeah exactly exactly um so the fight continues. They just um, cut up more fools. Right. It's just another scene of them cutting the fuck out of Empire shits. And then we take our next casualty in this episode. Yes. Uh, Julian, Poplin, and Mashango get cornered uh, by a bunch of uh, by guards. And uh-huh. uh, they open fire on the group. And one Louis Mashango uh-huh. shields Julian and Poplin from the incoming Takes fire. the bullets. Yes. Protect democracy. Exactly. It says that men cannot, humans cannot go against their fates. Yes, one last, 
one last one lighter from our good friend oh, Louis Mishengo. I like I know he is like the exact kind of character who exists to for you to care just enough about him so that it matters when he inevitably dies. But also <laughs> But also we we were always grew we we were just we 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 were just fondly like just <laughs> We enjoyed our time with Louis Mishengo. Yes, we we enjoyed I, I, the little times we did. We enjoyed it with one Louis Mishengo. Uh, Let it be known on his epitaph that he had the strength of ten men. Uh huh. He threw that fucking pillar. Threw that fucking pillar. <laughs> I am sad that you know. I mean, it is one of the things where if Shenkop got to have his moment, like just cutting down a mountain of 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 men. I guess Mishengo. It is a shame that Mishengo did not also get his one like tossing a boulder at these guys or something but uh this but julian gets pissed off we get another we get oh, another yeah. glimpse of angry julian after this he start he starts carving right. dudes up like he's a rosen power julian. i mean he's honorary rosen ritter yeah if anyone yeah. else is honorary rosen ritter yeah uh poplin tosses a grenade and they manage to get past break through the guards Mm-hmm. But uh, we return back to the Rose and Ritter hallway, and uh, unlike before, basically everyone hall- is dead. <laughs> the hallway is now filled with as many Rose and Ritter Fuck, corpses yeah. as Empire corpses. Fucking Gray we Fox have, hallway uh, here. Yeah, we have Shenkop like just basically calling out the names of the Rose and Ritter, saying, "Are any of you motherfuckers cheeky enough to still be alive?" <laughs> and, and they're not. Uh, they're not, uh, except for one. Uh, one one Empire uh, uh man officer pretending playing dead on the ground who manages mm. to get a cheap shot on Shenkop stabs him in the back, yep. and uh, we could tell from this that Shenkop is pretty grievously wounded by this. Like he oh, yeah. begins bleeding out immediately, and even here, even now, Shenkop is still the smoothest motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> uh, he asks the man, uh. He's like, like, young man, yeah. tell me your name. Uh-huh. Let me show you something cool. I'm going to shoot right. this crossbow without looking and kill someone. Right. And then he's like, he's basically like, he basically, Shenkop basically shotguns a beer and then says, watch this. And tosses his axe behind him at a guy who was creeping up on him. The axe hits the guy, forcing his rifle to shoot up into the air. Right. Uh, carving a laser line around the, the guy who stabbed him. Like, narrowly, like, just going right around Shenkop's head by a few inches. Doesn't move. With, yes, unflinching. Then Shenkop turns around to the other guards encroaching on him, and actually, almost the exact line that I had predicted he would say a few episodes ago. He basically says, "All right, you Empire motherfuckers, who wants the honor of being the last man Walter von Shenkop killed?" <laughs> it's very good. Uh, yep. And uh, meanwhile, Julian and Poplin have entered the like. They've reached the, like, office area. Yes, of, the inner uh, sanctum. And, um, Empire guy whose name I can't remember. Can you remember this dude's name? No, but he's, like, the one sort of distinctive, like, red-haired, like, chief of guard or something. Kiss- like, Kisling? Like, is it Kisling? I don't know. I don't remember. I feel bad. Yeah, sorry. He's, like, the, the <clears> one <throat> chief royal guard who kind of stands out from the others. Pa- he shows fuck. up. He's gonna shoot him, and Poplin fucking... Throws his helmet, knocks the gun yes. out of his hands. And then immediately starts getting into a fist fight with the dude and tells Julian to go on without him. Uh-huh. And even here, even 
down to the last man, they fight with all the foppery and whim they have in them. <laughs> Let me tell you, no Empire man would have thrown his helmet in a last gambit <laughs> to throw off the enemy's Poplin, aim. Poplin don't give a fuck. Yes, Poplin's like, fuck it, I don't... <laughs> Apparently, I don't have a gun anymore. I ran out of grenades, so just gonna throw this helmet at you. Use my fists. It's a very, like, almost like Jackie Chan-esque move of just, like, <laughs> using whatever... This is the only whatever... thing I have that's throwable. Right. Like, you just... It's like, you're just picking up whatever you have on hand and just tossing it at a motherfucker. Uh, but, but yeah, so... With that, we kind of cut to one more scene. Uh, we see that, uh... It's the second in command of the Rosen Ritter, Linz, is uh, kind of hanging out in a corner, uh, down to his last knife, which is also broken. Yep. And uh, we see some uh, guards encroaching on him. Things don't look good for him, but uh, yeah. things really don't look good for one Walt- Walter von Schenkop. I guess after that declaration, like these dudes didn't even try to attack him. Right. They are so scared that they let Schenkop walk past them unmolested they let him walk up the stairs where they are and then just sits down at the top <laughs> and uh uh-huh. Shenkov doesn't, doesn't decides die looking up he said yes yes he decides that unlike all those other great men he'd rather die looking down at all these motherfuckers he's definitely gonna kill <laughs> and uh we get Shenkov's uh ridiculous epitaph uh-huh. uh, do, you, do you have it Eero? let's see here Walter von Shenkov, age 37 died upon leaving these words he needs no epitaph for his grave only beautiful women's tears will give peace to his soul god <laughs> fucking dumb as shit <laughs> it's dumb as shit but it's also amazing it's, uh, again it's like and, and yeah, so with that, Walter von, Schenk- uh, Walter von Schenkop bleeds out on yeah, top of the stairs. Thinks that maybe he should have Dusty write his epitaph instead of himself. And uh, yes. finally <laughs> remembers the name of Karin's mother. Yes. It's, uh, it's pretty good. But uh, but yeah, you know, uh, we lose another one. Yep. I, again, another one we knew was coming, but... yeah. You know, like, as like flies this episode. Yeah, like as as annoyed as I am that Walt, that Shankov basically died due to a cheap shot, I I think that the other like circumstances around his death were quite good. You know, yes. I like a lot of characters at this show often die on a footnote. You know, like whether it is like without even showing them, like Edwin Fisher, or if it's even like kind of not that much like a Fahrenheit, you know, like a lot of, or a Steinmetz. There are characters in the show that don't get that, that do not get this treatment, but I'm glad that if any FPA man was going to die like this, it was going to be Walter von Schenkop. Yeah. Just the, the one man who was just bigger, you know, larger than life (laughs) in every way. Of course he would die quite literally on a mountain of corpses. And yeah, you know, he will be missed. And uh, Julian apparently cuts his way to the Kaiser's room. Um, yeah. Like, can barely stand, covered in yeah. blood. And of course, makes it into the room. <laughs> Reinhardt, who was bedridden not ten minutes ago, is now in full regalia. Sitting Dressed on, and ready to go. Sitting on his fucking rolling chair, our legs yes. crossed. He is back into Kaiser mode. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, he sees that Mueller and Mittermeier are there, and they look like they're about to help him out. But then Reinhardt says, "Like, no, no. If he cannot stand in front of me, he has not earned. Yeah, yes, he must earn his right." So 
Julian limps his way towards Reinhardt. Julian uh-huh. gets some great lines here oh, where yeah. he's like, forces himself to stand, using his axe as a crutch, saying, like, remember, a democratic Republican should never <laughs> kneel to an autocratic ruler. Hell yeah. And finally <laughs> makes it to Reinhard von Lohengrum and says, and says the thing that mm. I was almost right. I'm just going to point out, not, I wasn't quite, I didn't get all the details right here, but <laughs> I was almost right up yeah. to most of the larger details here. Julian tells Reinhardt that he has a proposal. He says, uh, I'd like to parlay with you on equal ground. And the reason I would is because he says that when the Lone Grom dynasty becomes ill and bloated, I have a proposal that only you, Reinhard von Lohengrim, can understand. Yeah. I think Reinhard- where, where it kind of changes is when he says, you'll understand what Yang Wenli wanted all along. Yes, yes. And uh, Reinhard, of course, is piqued by that proposal. And uh, once, uh, and then Julian basically collect- keels over. Yes. And uh, Reinhard officially declares a ceasefire to the battle. And that for any and all is alone injured to be treated. Mm-hmm. I do like this last... line Reinhardt says, oh, yes. where he says, anyone who survived this long has earned the right to survive to the end of this. Yes. Which in a weird way actually becomes weirdly apocryphal considering the way these final two ep- few episodes play out. But, uh, but mm-hmm. then, of course, after this big episode of all these <laughs> tragic deaths... <laughs> Leave it to Olivier Poplin <laughs> to make sure this episode ends on a ridiculous joke. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Poplin fucking is still punching it out with that one royal guard, and it ends with a cross counter knocking the both of them out. And Poplin, Look, po- Poplin is Poplin to the end. <laughs> Right, I just like, Poplin, you dickhead. We were so worried that you might actually die here. And. For you to just get knocked out as a joke is <laughs> like in an, in an episode in which Walter von Chenkop died this noble climactic death, where Murkatz died fighting for democracy, where Louis Vashengo shielded you from laser fire. The best you can do for it's us is, is a cross counter, you fucking asshole. I love you. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Look, ridiculous boppering whim boppering whim to the end and with that we move into episode 109 yes uh, the a thousand a hundred thousand soldiers at Islone get news of the ceasefire and rejoice until they see the casualty list yes. comically to me something that I thought was very funny is they have the big monitor and the narration's talking about they got the list of casualties and it's literally like the three names <laughs> Right, it's, it's, it's only the three names we know, nobody else. Uh-huh. And also, like, you have to think about the scale of these battles, like where like thousands of people are dying. It seems kind of ridiculous that you would scroll them w- slowly one at a time like this. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like it would take hours to report the full death toll. Um, yes, we find out yeah. that the Rosen Ritter are down to 204 survivors, uh, all yeah. injured. Um, yeah. From like an original like strength of like what a thousand or something. I think so I, I feel like I read that somewhere. I don't remember where. Uh, Point is, even the Rosen Ritter were basically yes. decimated by this battle. 
and you know no you know not even talking about what happened to the Iserlone fleet you know after all of this mm-hmm. uh, um F- frederica gets the call for julian and goes on official record as admonishing him for opening fire without the leader's permission yes um the narrator notes basically that she was actually thanking him for his efforts but for the record has to admonish him yeah as the leader of a democratic institution of course of course and she basically says like all right julian like what are you going to propose and he basically lays it out that after organizing the survivors and getting things into order i'm going to go to heineson to meet with reinhard and make my proposal where i plan to hand over iserlone to the empire in exchange for getting them to introduce a constitution to their monarchy. He explains that basically as long as they always have Iserlun, which represents this like like invincible tangible, bastion of right, right. Yeah. Uh, a bastion of democracy, but not only that, but also an explicit war institution. Right. Like it is a, it's a institution fortress, a fortress with a big ass gun on it. Right. That as long as they have that, the Empire will always be anxious about dealing with the FPA. And that, or not the FPA, the Iserlone Republic. And that by handing it over in exchange for forming a constitution and possibly gaining uh, Heinesen in return, that they can work towards something of a coexistence. Yeah. Uh, is this the part where uh, Frederica. Uh, is this the part where Frederica kind of. Goes disappears. Back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I just want to make sure this is this is it for Frederick. Tells Kazanu that uh, well, he's in charge of the logistics, and uh, he says, "Let's have dinner." <laughs> yes. And that uh, Mrs. Kazanu insists that should you refuse, you shall face her terrible fury. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Frederica looks at Yang's picture and yes. thanks him for making her life a richer one and disappears for the rest of the show. Yeah, this is the last time Frederica appears in the show. I mm. maybe I think we were going to save this for the second half of our podcast yeah. where we talk about season four as a whole. But I have to admit this does it, it, it bothered me a bit after we watched all three episodes and realized, oh, this is it for Frederica. Like, yeah. It's a shame because, like, in many ways, she very much kind of stepped, like, once Yang Wenli died and she kind of stepped into the, like, Iserlone Republic uh, leadership role, she really did kind of step into the background. And even the way she exits this story almost feels a little bit like an afterthought. She was a little, she was kind of a satellite to Yang Wenli. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame. Because, in a way, in, in like a way that I think Hilda was kind of like Hilda, by contrast, was more of a her own character. Yeah, she had her. She had a lot more agency. She had a lot more control over her own like pace and place in the story. Whereas Frederica, for better or worse, always kind of ended up being yes, as you Mrs. said, Mrs. Young. Yes, Mrs. Young, and it is a shame because I think I do. In a, in a vacuum, I do like this scene, you know? I think mm-hmm. every scene in which Frederica kind of talks about why she fell in love with Yang and the, and, and the brief time they spent together, it's 
they're very heartwarming moments and i i do like it a lot but take it as a whole it is unfortunate that we do not get any indication of like what frederica does in the post-war era yeah but uh, we'll get to there we'll get there well we'll discuss that later uh the ulysses uh the lucky ship ulysses survived unscathed um once again (laughs) good luck ship now yeah i mean because there's so many wounded yeah yeah it's it's the bat this battle was bad like in many ways like like in many ways this battle is a strategic victory for the israel republic right like oh yeah this this is the thing they were talking about in the this prior they want, like this ended the way they wanted it to right like this is what they were talking about when they said like we could just keep fighting a conventional war against the against the empire we could retreat to Iserlone as we start losing but what would that do they would just our numbers would just continue to dwindle battle by battle like yes the casualties were great in this one last fight but on the other hand it also ended up being one last fight and too bad they couldn't make the decision knowing the kaiser had like two weeks to live yeah you know contingency (laughs) yeah hindsight's 2020 but (laughs) We got a good scene here where Poplin is, uh, you know, talking with Dusty, you know, about, uh, you know, like, you know, they're 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 commiserating over Shenkop's death, and yeah, you know, Poplin's got a good bit here where he's like, "Well, I can't die now because I I'd go to hell, and I'm sure Shenkop is waiting for me there." <laughs> and uh, Dusty's like, "Wait a minute, isn't it past your thirtieth birthday already?" And Poplin's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I Poplin was born on December 36th. I don't know what you're right. talking about. And like Poplin died at the Battle of Shiva at age 29, drowning in the tears of beautiful women. Uh-huh. Which is uh, very yes. good. And uh, But Julian is off, not, not hanging out with the boys, but he's off going in down into the bowels of the ship, into the hangar, where... Uh, Karen is singing a lullaby to herself uh, that her mother used to sing to her and uh, that she says her mother used to sing to Vulture von Schenkop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, the scene goes as you can't expect, you know, Uh Karen breaks down. She talks about how she's angry because she never got her true revenge on Schenkop and showing him his grandchild while he was still young. Yes, yes. Karen lives by by the mantra that the best revenge is a life well lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would, I, I would amend that quote by saying uh, that uh, the second best revenge, however, as one Oscar von Roenthal would would argue, is a bullet to the brain, <laughs> as we can attest to the way he dealt with Job Truly to the end. So, but you I know. Fuck that guy. Um, yeah. We get anyway. the we got the hilarious exchange uh, where she asks Julian if he loves her, and he says, "I love you." And her immediate response is, "Wow, democracy is great." Yes, because only in a democracy <laughs> can a corporal give an order to a lieutenant. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Their love could never have happened in an in an autocracy, which is a cute little moment, you know. Like it's. I mean, it, it's a cute little piece of fluff, but I actually do like the scene because it actually does kind of get to, again, again, this is like one of those more low-key examples of what makes democracy worth fighting for. This is up there with like Bukok's final speech to Reinhardt, right? Like, remember what Bukok said all those episodes ago, like, what makes democracy great 
is that I can call a subordinate my friend. You know, can can you say the same in 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 your in, in your empire? And it's kind of the same thing here, right? Like it's only <laughs> it is only in a democracy in which in which uh, a corporal can angrily demand of her direct superior to declare his love for her. <laughs> Fine. Uh, uh, yep, they, they they make out in the hangar. Uh, they start making out, and then, uh, you know, <laughs> Julian uh, returns to the offices where Dusty is, and we get a great bit here where... Uh, where Dusty says, uh, there's a little bit of lipstick on, on your cheek, and and Julian immediately starts rubbing his face, and Dusty's like, from now on, you'll know that Karen doesn't wear lipstick. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, but they get down to business of how they need to go talk to Reinhard von Lohengram, who uh, may have a terminal disease. And, uh, you know. Yes, they find out that Reinhard will need to recover first before they can start talking. Yes, and, uh, and that humans are fools because why do they all they if all they had to do was just talk to Reinhard, why did that so many people have to die? Right. How would all of those men who died feel about hearing a few hours later that Reinhard was going to die soon, anyways? Yes. But you know, it's one of those things of like, I think this fight was still necessary in a ways, right? Like if. If Julian had not directly met with Reinhard, Reinhard would never have considered Julian's demands in the first place. Yeah. Like, maybe he'll die. Like, let's say even if Julian never meets with Reinhard, he dies cursing the, the Israel Republic to, to his death. <laughs> I think Hilda, being the reasonable woman she is, probably still have met would have met with the Israel Republic to talk things out. Yeah. But maybe the details of that would have gone differently, right? Right. Like, Who maybe. Right, because, I mean, Hilda was, you know, like, Hilda's got a lot of power being the Kaiserin and all, but, like, without that proper fight, how do you know guys like Mittermeier and Binfield aren't going to be like, well, you can't deal with those guys? Right, unless the Kaiser had ordered them before his death. Like, it is only because the Kaiser Reinhardt himself made these demands that everybody, like, bent over backwards. But uh, yeah, we get a great another great scene here where Binfield is when ben, Binfield gets the news that not only is Reinhardt sick, but it is terminal, and not only that is it is terminal, but it is uh, incurable. <laughs> incurable gets a great line about he basically curses the the, inju- the injustice of the heavens that how can they live in a universe a cold and uncaring universe in which Reinhardt dies of a terminal disease while Oberstein gets to walk amongst the living <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> you know, the admirals are basically talking about what to, to do next. Mittermeier's like, calm down, Bittenfield. Like, we uh-huh. gotta, we gotta focus on what's next. Don't, like, you're right. Yep. <laughs> Bittenfield weirdly, weirdly okay. reasonable. Like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry about yelling like that. And Mittermeier's like, good job. Now I'm gonna go walk into a room by myself, drink myself silly. <laughs> and yes, he just begins hitting the drink. Mittermeier basically like, oh, poor Mittermeier. He's basically <laughs> pleading to the heavens, please don't take all my friends. This fucking scene. He uh, drinks so much that he passes out or something. He falls asleep and has this incredibly silly dream of Reinhard heading, walking across, climbing the stairs to heaven, going to Valhalla, yeah. where all of the other admirals are waiting for yes. him. Mittermeier chasing after Reinhard. Like, no, Reinhard, stop. Reinhard hooks up with the ghost crew. <laughs> ghost like, squad. It's, 
in the ghost squad like hashtag empire ghost squad just it's it's like it's, it's all it's all your boys it's kemp it's it's Steinmetz, it's lutz it's it's uh, it's, it's fair it's um like there i don't there are some there are a surprising number of them there's like seven of them all told Len, like, Len, Kurt, yeah, Len Kampf. Len Kampf. i don't know why lenikoff is there like i don't think lenikoff like maybe it's just i'm biased because lenikoff kind of indirectly fucked up everything <laughs> everything so i don't know why lenikov got to go to valhalla like dude was a big fuck up to the very end but you know whatever like yes i think some commenter said commenter said lenikov basically got into the inner circle because like i don't know he was good friends with somebody else there or something (laughs) (laughs) but uh like i would even say kemp deserves to be there more than lenikov even though all kemp did was also fuck up until he died well yeah but uh but you know, it's just this great scene of like them walking into Valhalla, like just Reinhard, like six men deep with the crew, uh-huh. like just <laughs> surrounded on all sides by these admirals who have died along the way. Off to conquer it's, Valhalla. Yes, it's it's very good. Hashtag. Um, yes, hashtag conquer Valhalla. Uh, you know we're you know it's just like yes, I found it. It's just like Mittermeier, Mittermeier's chasing after. Reinhard, Reinhard's walking away from the parking lot of the Seven <laughs> Eleven. He's like, Reinhard, stop! No, don't. What about all and, of the surface we shared? And Reinhard's just like, I'm going with my boys to the quickie mark in the sky. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the hot dogs there are way better. <laughs> but yes, so a week passes. And uh, Julian and the user Lone crew finally returned to Heinison. Indeed, where uh, everything kind of sucks ass. Um, yeah, people are looking pretty gloomy. Things don't look great. And, I mean, you could say some of this is because of the violent death of democracy. But you also have to admit, some of this is probably just because, let's be real, Heinison has seen a lot of shit in season four. Like literally every time we cut back to Heinison, there's some kind of, like, terrorist action happening. It's like a... A terrorist act or a riot or like just fighting in the streets. It's yeah, that didn't happen. God damn it. Heinesin has seen some bad times and people are not happy about it. Yeah. And uh Julian goes to visit Murai in the hospital. Yes. Uh, to yes. basically he tells consult. Mur- yeah. Yeah, tells him Oh, you could go ahead. <laughs> right. Sorry. I mean they don't talk much, but uh basically tells him the tells him the news that they're probably gonna give up his loan. And uh, Murai basically says it was a brief era uh, that we that we spent together, but uh, there definitely was <laughs> there definitely was a thing called Easter Loan. Yes, and and in hindsight, you realize oh, this speech is Murai basically explaining, hey, by the way, guys, this is the last time I appear in the show. <laughs> yup. I feel like that's kind of the big theme of episode one hundred and nine, for better or worse. It feels like. They're very much trying to, like, clean up loose ends. Like, the characters who are left get their one right. last, like, Julian, speech. Julian is doing the, like, final, the, like, last day of Persona lap around town. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. This is the last day of the Flowers of Iserloh. <laughs> and Julian is getting one last conversation. Julian is taking a screen cap of every, of every line of dialogue because he doesn't want to forget these memories. 
You know, he's he's at he's in the, he's he's meeting with Mirai in the during the hospital event with Mirai. Uh-huh. He's about to go uh, meet with uh, uh, um, Valen and Mueller. Yes, he uh, meets Admiral Valen and uh, basically. Yes. <laughs> We finally get. Yes, we finally make good on this plot line from a million episodes ago. Volan's like, you seem familiar. It's like, oh yeah, yeah we met on Earth that one time. I totally Volan's, lied to you that I was from Kazan. Yeah. And Volan's like, oh right, yeah, that was an adventure, huh? We bombed <laughs> the shit out of those Earth cult yeah. assholes. Well, safe travels, kid. Uh huh. <laughs> And then uh, he also meets with Mueller, and uh, mm-hmm. they kind of have an interesting bit here that I'm I'm, I'm not going to get too real with you, the audience here. I don't mean to place this on you guys, but this mm. this scene kind of got real because of maybe some own some own passings in my life this year. But uh, Mueller basically muses with Julian that uh, which you know which of the two is mo- more unfortunate, you know, like you, Julian, who lost your mentor in a sudden in a sudden act that in many ways like was was unknowable and unpredictable or us here in the empire who have to spend these last few weeks watching our empire our emperor waste away you know just is it better for a loved one to just pass suddenly or is it better to make the best of the time you have even if it's painful to watch them waste away yeah and uh but either way those who live must continue on right at the end of the day it is the one who who live who must carry those burdens indeed uh we finally and, and then we uh, spends this cab ride or whatever uh musing on how perhaps in the future he will be criticized uh for shaking hands with imperial admirals right for being so buddy buddy with them but uh you know, at the same time, he hopes that uh, future historians will judge him appropriately and understand right. that, look... It was the only way at the time. You know, Julian was dealt an extremely bad hand. And the fact that... <laughs> the fact that Julian managed to win a bet at all in this <laughs> poker game with Reinhard is impressive in and of itself. Like, sure, did, like... In this hypothetical hypothetical poker game, did Reinhard, like, literally accidentally drop his cards on the table, showing his hand to Julian? Did I mean, Julian, Julian still bluffed him all the way with, with nothing. Right. So. Did Reinhard fall asleep halfway through the match, kinda? But you know what? Julian still won, and a win is a win. Uh, and, uh... Boris speaking of, of Yeah, speaking of great bluffers, we return to Boris Konev and Marinesk. Uh, Konev kind of musing about how, you know, again, the theme of this is the end of an era, and what am I going to do with my life now, you know, now that there's no room for a smuggler? Yeah, but first uh, what I need to do is calculate exactly how much Ezelone fucking owes me for bringing them all that whiskey. Right, turns out Konev was not just running the blockade for for shits and giggles, that uh, he offers us, you know, he offers up a spoke service, and that people should be paid for their work. Uh-huh. You know, uh, Boris Konev does not work for exposure, <laughs> and uh, and decides that uh, he is going to be an info broker in the next era. And it's kind of an interesting. It's a kind of an interesting, um, a full circle on things that he was initially approached by an info broker like hmm. like Rupert to spy on his own allies, and that it should end with Konev deciding, you know what? I'm pretty good at that. Yeah, the information market is actually pretty good. I'm gonna get into it. Yeah, but, and uh, he tells Apoplin that uh, Rubinsky's dying, and he's been refusing meals. 
Yeah, one last interesting detail. And uh, on the 13th of June, we uh, we come to the hospital and we find uh, Adrian Rubinsky one last time. He has uh, heard the news, specifically that Rubinsky has heard the news that Reinhardt has returned to Heineson. And with that, Rubinsky, like, struggles to regain consciousness, pulls a tube out of his neck, yep. and dies on his own terms. Yes. Activating his dead man switch! Yes, turns out that Neo Rubinsky and the <laughs> cyborg army is real, and they rise from oh, the sewers no. of Heineson. Shit. No, what actually happens is basically a metric shitload of bombs go off under under uh, underneath Heinisonopolis. Yes, turns out Rubinsky a had a bunch of, of fucking bombs. bombs. Apparently, yeah, yeah, he had a dead man switch implanted in his brain, and the bombs were designed to go off should he die uh, in, in in one last desperate attempt to take yes. Reinhardt with him. But uh, good and, thing Bittenfield is here with his squad to yes pull the Kaiser out of his temporary residence. Yes, Reinhardt's like basically lying on a couch being dramatic. He's like, oh, if this is where I die, then so be it. And Bittenfield's like, fuck that. Man, go pick up that couch. <laughs> just grab the couch. Reinhardt is on and carry him out. <laughs> Reinhardt's like, just chilling on this couch and these burly men pick up the whole couch. Yeah, like when, when, when Bittenfield said men, grab him, I thought they were going to like literally firemen carry Reinhardt out, but no, they fire, they just <laughs> carry the couch itself, which is very funny. Uh, uh, there's a note left, uh, the narrator notes that uh, historically Admiral Mecklinger's notes, uh, his writings on the time, Left a note about this incident and how it sure was great that Bittenfield was an idiot who didn't care about art because that way he saved the Kaiser and let all right. of this priceless art burn. But also, by the way, job. yes, but also, by the way, how about all that priceless artwork <laughs> that was destroyed because Bittenfield is an idiot? Uh, indeed. <laughs> it's very good. Just like little detail. And, you know, ironically, is that kind of the last bit with Mecklinger in this show? He's shows he's he's there in well, he shows episode. up in person, but I don't think he says anything in the last episode. Yeah, not really. Um, so and in many ways, this is also Mecklinger's final note <laughs> in the annals of history is him begrudgingly admitting, uh, I guess Binfield did the right thing by prioritizing Reinhardt. But also we lost a lot of good paintings and sculptures. So. <laughs> Yes, and uh, the fire burned for three days and destroyed 30% of the city. Yeah, so one last fuck you to Heinisonopolis. I do want to say, don't get me wrong, this is a horrible act. Yeah, I mean, they On say the hand, fucking, they say like 5,000 people died or were missing, and 500 times more than that were, like, injured. Yeah. I, I do want to say, so again, horrible act, but I will say... I am so glad Rubinsky had one last trump card up his sleeve. He had like, something. If you guys remember the prior podcast where I was complaining, like, man, it really sucks that that's all Rubinsky had in the tank. Like, again, this is a horrible thing to do, but I am glad that Rubinsky, of all characters, like, if any character who fi was finding out be they were they had a terminal brain tumor would set up yes. a dead man switch to blow up Hydesonopolis. Yes, like if like no other character would be this petty. No other character, but Adrian Rubinsky would. And in many ways, I am glad that Rubinsky died as he lived. A petty a schemer to the very end. Yes. 
but yeah, so then we find out that Oberstein basically uh, arrests Rubinsky's accomplices, the few that are left, mm-hmm. and including, uh, including yeah. one Dominique San uh, San Pierre or San Pierre or whatever, yeah. and and uh, they interrogate her. Right, and she basically uh, says, "Fuck that guy." Yeah. Interestingly enough, Oberstein only has one question for 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 Dominique, and that is uh, the whereabouts of Alfred, yeah. to which Dominique says she doesn't know. Yep, I so said they basically interrogate her for a while after that, but they don't have anything else to get from her basically, and she uh, disappears. Disappears from history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, finally, finally after the fires, <laughs> after after Reinhardt's health, they finally. Find some time for Julian and Reinhardt to meet. Yes. And this is where Reinhardt asks Julian his proposal. Which is basically to uh, set up a constitution, open a parliament, and uh, start down the road of constitutionalism and democracy. Yeah. Um, And that... uh, Basically, Julian argues that, yes, this is a slow process, but we should create a system that can ensure the longevity of of the system and reinhardt of course like immediately jazzed back like yeah i mean we could institute a constitution but like you know be honest with me you're just hoping that democratic ideals might eventually take root in the empire as a result well yeah and you know (laughs) and julian's like yeah i mean no fucking shit and also uh asks that uh in exchange for is alone that uh, the Israel Republic, uh, that's that Reinhardt create an, uh, an an autonomous zone in the Balat Star Zone, uh, which includes Heinesen. Yes, and uh, basically allowing them to rule as they see fit. Yep, and Reinhardt says, "Come with me to Vazan, and uh, it'll be better if you speak to uh, my wife about this. She's a lot smarter than I am, <laughs> and also she will be around for more than the next two weeks." is kind of the unspoken yes. subtext there. But yes, yes. Yep. Uh, Finally. Dusty says he'll go with uh, Julian Tavazan as well. Yes. That he'll leave Sewell in charge of the fleet, because even though he's not as uh, smart and creative as, as Dusty Attenborough, he's way more responsible. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, we finally... Uh, we kind of like we finally get kind of like one last scene here, which is uh, Julian and Schneider. Yeah. Uh, make their uh, say their goodbyes. Schneider says he's going to return to Mercatz's family. Tell them about the news mm-hmm. and that uh, you know perhaps we will meet again one day. Find his own way to live. Yeah. And so we uh, we say goodbye to one of the best adjutants <laughs> that ever was in Legend of the Galactic yeah, Heroes for a dude who didn't do really anything. Um, for ninety nine percent of his appearances, that one appearance sure made us remember his name. The one time Schneider made the big play, it's like I mean Schneider is Schneider is the perfect example of last like, play. Yeah, of like the athlete who kind of goes on to have a pretty middling, mediocre career, but everybody remembers him because there was just that one game, that one game where like you know what he didn't even his team didn't even win that game. <laughs> But he pulled off the greatest assist in the in the history of <laughs> of of, uh, of of the sport. You yeah. know, just unbelievable. It's like just people people talk about that assist to this day, decades later. 
And uh, yeah, that kind of ends episode 109. Indeed. And victory lap is over. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, we and go into the final episode, so the hundred and ten, the end of the dream, or yeah, etc. Um, which opens with some imperial dudes having found a specific person who had been injured in the bombings of Hinesnopolis. Oh yes, they did. Leopold Schumacher, he's back. Leopold. I, Leopold, I did, goddamn Schumacher. I didn't think he'd be back. He's back. Again, I love... I wonder if people listen to this podcast and are like, why do these guys care so much about these irrelevant bit characters like Louis Mashengo and Leopold Schumacher? And to you, Schumacher's I say, voice by damn you, <laughs> these guys are great. Schumacher and, didn't yes. deserve this. He just wanted to retire on a farm with his buddies. You know, like, he shot Landsberg. <laughs> <laughs> or wait, Landsberg, Flagel. No, he shot Flagel. No, he, he shot Flagel. Fuck yes. Flagel. Schumacher yes. deserves to live a quiet life. Schumacher just wanted to found his own outer haven. Was that so much to ask for? <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, and he uh, he spills the beans that <laughs> the most. And what fucking... is the best? Like, in, what is the best minor plot oh, twist my God. Of, the, of the fourth season? I think we like thought about this and didn't say it necessarily. Yes, we think, di- we discussed think, this maybe not on tape, think, but we discussed I, I don't the know possibility. If, yeah. We we might have brought this up off air, but we discussed basically what Schumacher here says. And Schumacher claims that the dead body of Erwin Josef II that was found with Landsberg was in fact a fake. That I mean, it, Landsberg, it was still a corpse of a child, but it was still a dead child. But it was not the dead child of Erwin. That dead child was not Erwin Yosef II. Right. He explains that after that, Landsberg's mental condition basically deteriorated to the point where he stole a body from a morgue and dressed it up as Erwin Yosef. Yes, and, and like, that actually Erwin Yosef ran off somewhere. Yes, yes. and that uh, he was never seen again. And uh, yeah. I, I really like this plot point because, <laughs> again, this is not like, look, this is the last episode. Yes. And seeing as there is no Legend of the Galactic Heroes 2, we can safely say this plot point never comes up in this story ever again. But I like it. Yeah, I like it here. because this is history. This, this feels more like history than anything else. Like even more than the battles, even more than the conversations, this is history. History is the weird one-off events that are right. just steeped in the human condition that has this love affair with rumor and <laughs> and scandal. They were never and found what, again. But we'll- yeah, you know, like think about like the number of like rumors about the Romanov family that exist to this day, right? Right. That right. I actually one member of the murdered Romanov family of the Russian royalty managed to escape the purge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we love these rumors because, like, not only do they appeal to the romanticism in human nature, but also they can often serve as convenient political tools in the future. Right. Like, who's to say? 30 years 30, from 40 now. years from now, some noble comes out of nowhere claiming he is Erwin Yosef II, who 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 ran away all those years ago. And I'm back. Who's to, to take what's yeah. rightfully mine? 
Right. And who's to say that uh, he does not form his own coalition of nobles of the Golden Bomb dynasty who still remember the 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 grudges of the Lohengrom dynasty and, and rally to his side? Who says who's to say that maybe happens, you know, like maybe it does in 30, 40 years from now. Maybe that ends up being Alexander Siegfried uh, Lohengrom's uh, the war that will define his career. Maybe. Who can say? Like we don't and we won't know. But these little details are great because they tell us. Because here's the thing, a weaker story would tie up every loose end. In, real- uh, in reality, of- there's always more loose ends. Right. You know, it is a thing that Dr. Doctor Manhattan says at the end of Watchmen, you know, nothing ever ends. Mm-hmm. And history, or not even just history, but life does not does not end with these convenient like loop, like a uh, uh, um, plot holes uh, or, or, or loose threads tied up. Like, things continue. More more loose ends show up, you know? More show up as this episode goes on. Indeed. And but uh we are gonna tie up one. And Schumacher tells the uh the cops basically that the final cell of the Earth cult has infiltrated Fazan, and uh you wanna go deal with that probably. <laughs> yes, they have they have basically there is one last Literally, one last squad of Earth cultists mm-hmm. who have decided to uh, basically try and do what Julian did and go for an all-or-nothing play against Reinhardt. Yes. Uh, we also are informed by the narrator that uh, Schumacher was eventually released on pardon, but uh, when he returned to Fazan, his farm had already been disbanded and his crew had scattered to the winds. And uh, Yeah. It's, he became uh, a commodore under Strite's fleet, and uh, went MIA in the battle in the battle of space pirates. Yeah, it's the end I of mean, Leopold Schumacher. Yeah, I mean, I want to become that. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe he became a badass space I'm pirate. Sure, he just you know, you know he met up just, with Dominique Saint Pierre and had a good time. I don't know. I want to believe. I mean, slight spoiler for later this episode. I want to believe that. Yeah, that Schumacher met up with Dominique and and Poplin, and they went on swashbuckling squad, space yeah. adventures. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's I like this plot point. I really do. Like for as much of a complete bit character as Schumacher was, yeah. like I love it because again, this is history. Not everyone is a Yangwen Lee or a Reinhardt or even a Mittermeier or a Julian. Like right, there are tons like. In many ways, I think Schumacher was meant to represent uh, the the quote unquote little people who get lost in the shuffle of history, uh, and 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 to remind you that even these people who are seemingly not that important still had huge, uh, made huge contributions to the direction of right. history. Everything is like, made of everything else. Yeah, that there are probably hundreds or thousands of Leopold Schumachers in Legend of the Galactic Heroes who all made, you know, one little decision or another, you know? Like, who's to say there wasn't, say, one random, like, you know, officer on on the crew of the Shiva who accidentally went left instead of right, and that's why Murkats right. got killed, pushed, you know? Who like, pushed the button that fired the laser that shot into that ship at that one time? Yeah. Where- it, it, those are the those are the little things that like again millions of little decisions and you know again i think that in the grand scheme of things legend of the galactic heroes is still largely 
in favor of a sort of great man view of history. But I do appreciate scenes like these that kind of remind you that actually, like, history is A, an endless process, and B, like, informed and affected by everybody in that process. (sighs) And so Reinhardt and Julian are on their way to Fazan, and we get basically a montage of how on this trip they talked a lot, and yes. Reinhard liked to hear about Yang Wen Lee, the human disaster. Um, this is very, this is very funny to me. I almost, I, I actually, I'm I really got more I'm really, of this in real life. I'm really, yes, I'm really sad this wasn't actually voiced or, or, or we we didn't actually hear these conversations because I think if anyone like if you want to talk about like an all timer scene in this whole show. Like, I think one people would often mention is the conversation that Yang Wen Lee and Reinhardt have face to face. Right. It's a fantastic conversation. It's a short one, but it speaks volumes to their character. And I would have loved to have gotten that with Julian and Reinhardt. Like, I really want to know, like, like, is Reinhardt just like, Julian Minchi, tell me another story about Yang Yang Wen Lee. All right, like, one more before like, you go to bed. Right, like tell me about the evacuation of Alpha Seal. Did he really eat a sandwich while evacuating? Let me tell everybody? you about that time I made hot booze for Young Wen Lee who had a cold while he was telling right. me about good violence and bad violence. <laughs> right, like like tell me about the time like Young Wen Lee slept in until noon or something. Right, because it's like I I'd, I'd love to know Reinhardt's reaction. Like how would Reinhardt feel about the man he never truly beat? Right, being this is, like because I'm sure because this band's cause, barely know, met, able to function. <laughs> right, because he met with Young Wen Lee, but yeah, that was like functional, like on his ball, Young Wen Lee. Like right. I would love to know what Reinhardt would think of like wait. The man who almost killed me at Vermilion couldn't even, like, get up past 10 on his own, like, <laughs> under his own effort. <laughs> like, uh. it's like, <laughs> I wonder, like, I wonder if he would have, like, been bemused by that or would he have been a little, like, angry, angry that right. such a fuck up of a man beat him time and time again. <laughs> But and uh, we'll never know what those conversations looked like. Indeed. But they also discuss political matters. Yes. Which basically comes to the point that the Empire will get um, Isolan Fortress and the Barlet Star Zone plus Highness and Kynason will be an autonomous territory. Um, yes. That's definitely happening. But yes, however, but introducing a constitution parliament to the Empire is a little more up in the air. Reinhard is not sold on this because, again, Reinhard makes keeps arguing the point that he does not want he does not believe because essentially he believes that a constitution is how you make inroads towards democracy. And as far as Reinhard is concerned, democracy is what killed the FPA. Sure, and you know there is this idea that like this you know Reinhard like here's the thing Reinhard is a despot. But also, he truly believes mm-hmm. in autocracy, like in the ways that Yang Wen Li truly believes in democracy. He like he doesn't see any way for change to have been wrought, other than by his own power of right. in command. Like, and he doesn't just extend that to himself. He believes that the only way that society can change in these large dramatic sh- uh, shifts is under the rule of a strong leader, and that. 
Yeah, again, I see the thing is like again, I don't agree with Reinhardt, but I do appreciate that even here, Reinhardt makes it clear that like he's sticking to his principles. He's not he is not wary of constitution because like fuck democracy. He is the wary of a constitution because he believes it will weaken the system that allowed him to create his golden empire. Right. <sighs> and uh the narrator kind of notes that He's also doesn't want to make things too easy for Julian, basically. Like, yes, if they truly are in the right, then they should fight, continue to fight for that even after he's gone. Right. Yes. And uh, we, we, we have a good tiny bit here where Julian finds out that uh, uh, one job Trunit was also aiming to uh to bring constitutionalism to the empire uh-huh. and it, it's kind of a it kind of sends a shiver up your spine because it reminds you like one of the biggest themes of legend of galactic heroes is always it's not about the political system i mean we personally have a political system that we think is better than the other but at the end of the day what legend of galactic heroes argues is it's never about the specific political system that is in place in a society it is how it is used and often abused and exploited by the people right. in power. It's it's not you know? about whether you're in a democracy or an autocracy. It's what's most important is that the people are taken care of. Right. And that a man like Job Trunicht in either a democracy or an autocracy is going to poison that well one way or another. Uh, yeah. But we move on and we uh, things... Things start to get right. a little, a uh, little, a uh, little un- uncertain for our friend Reinhardt here. Yes, uh, his condition worsens, and he basically uh, has—he's basically on his deathbed. He even kind of dies for a few minutes. Uh, they say he stops breathing entirely right. for a few for for a few minutes before getting resuscitated. Um, yeah, all the admirals once again. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not sure how you, I like these scenes. I especially like this scene, but these scenes feel a little weird to me because like the admirals keep meeting up to discuss what to do with Reinhard, but they never actually bring up any like tangible solutions or suggestions. Like every single time right. Ad, Reinhardt's admirals meet to discuss what to do, they basically argue for a few minutes and then they say, Let's table this for later. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> Wait for the Kaiser's orders on this matter. It's like, did you... <laughs> did y'all forget how you almost lost the Battle of Shiva? Just like... Right. Of Shiva Star Zone, like, just a few episodes ago? Like <laughs> It's noted It's noted that uh, it's raining and chilly, even though it's in the middle of July. Because, um, of course, draw the dramatic circumstances must bend to accommodate the Kaiser... Yes. Oh, yes. But uh, before that, I did want to bring up the so one scene I did love from this one, though. It's just, uh, oh, yeah. Bitfield getting, getting angry. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. Fine. Yes. All the admirals, you, all the, you can do all the admirals called into a room, and Oberstein immediately gets up to deal with an errand. And so everyone's just yes. there sitting and waiting. So go ahead. <laughs> okay. And so Binfield, as he does, gets angry and loud again. To which, finally, Valen snaps at him. Like, he's just like, Binfield, you shout all the goddamn time. You know we're all angry, right? But the rest of us can, like, 
can can why do we can always maintain... have to be calm? <laughs> right, a degree of professionalism. Like, why do we always have to be the better men, huh? And Benfield's, of course, just like, huh? What did you say? You want to go? And Eisenach. <laughs> Sit out to the side, looking at these two idiots, just picks up the bottle of water next to him and splashes it on them. Just get the fucking spray bottle for your, yeah. for your just ornery dog. Eisenach, yes, Eisenach with the spray bottle for these 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 two oh, it's so funny. fighting pets. It's very funny. Um What's less funny is uh Reinhardt on his deathbed. Uh, he has returned to uh, Fazan. He is uh, he is resting in um, his house, his new house, because his old house burned down. Uh-huh. Um, and he is uh, dictating his will to Hilda. Indeed, that uh, the six admirals uh, will all be uh, upgraded to fleet admirals. Let the record, let the record show: Binfield, fleet admiral. Yes, fleet admiral Bittenfield, who continues to fail upward. That's that's unfair. Benfield honestly puts in a pretty damn good showing in season four. So, <laughs> like after three seasons of getting dunked on by everybody, he's finally showing us why the Black Lancers are a known and feared name in the galaxy. Indeed. But uh, more importantly, that uh, Hilda will become the regent. Yes. And that she will rule until uh, their son is of age. Yes. And um. He also relays orders to uh, Fleet Admiral Mittermeier alone that, uh... Yes. Not that bad things have happened, but he wants Mittermeier to go fetch his wife and child and uh, bring them here. Bring them yes. to the Kaiser's deathbed. He also invites Julian and the Iserlone, uh representative to also uh, stay at his house. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Man, these scenes, you're just like... Reinhardt's a fucking goner, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, they were making it so clear. Right. He ain't gonna last to the end of this episode. It's like... Ooh. Like, it's just the things he is doing. Like, he is getting all his affairs into order. Like, he gives his locket. He gives the locket right. of Crooked Ice. That's kind of like the, 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 like, clincher, right? <laughs> right. He calls an Anna Rose to, like, apologize to her and et cetera, et cetera, and gives her <laughs> gives her the locket with Kirk guys yeah. hair in it. It's like, man, you know like the locket that you know that he, he you almost know, died he, over. He almost the died Kubel over. Incident. Yes. Hands it over to Anna Rose. It's like you know like when that's happening, you know like you know Reinhardt is a, is is done. Uh-huh. But uh Yes, but uh we got Yeah. More terrorist attacks. Yes, yes. Uh, the Earth Cult, again, starting to get a little stale here. Same same playbook every time. Uh, we find out that there's an unrelated suicide bombing happening elsewhere. Right. Unlike all the other times, Kessler's like, that's a trap. <laughs> I've dealt with these motherfuckers for long enough. Yes. Put everyone on high alert. I, I will say, I continue to question... The Empire's uh, policies for guarding their uh, their Kaiser, VIPs, because again, yeah. the house is guarded by what seems to be at least looks like to me a skeleton crew of plain clothes, unarmored uh, guards. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing: they stated that there was about roughly thirty members uh, in the last Earth Cult cell. You were telling me Kessler could not like just 
stage a hundred dudes. <laughs> yeah. Hell, not just a hundred guys, a hundred guys in power armor to just guard the Kaiser's deathbed. Yeah. Right. It's like, come on. You like, unless, I don't know, unless a commenter comes in here and explains to us, actually, that power armor doesn't work under Earth's gravity. But then, wait a minute. No, that doesn't work because. Don't worry about it. They were on Earth. So clearly, though that power armor can can operate in the atmosphere. So anyway, <laughs> Oberstein enters the Admiral room and basically like, "Hey guys, I called <laughs> I called the Earth Cult here. They're gonna try yes. and kill the Kaiser. We're gonna kill them." Yes, of course. Everybody gets mad at him as usual, and Oberstein explain. Uh, Oberstein explains that his plan is basically his what. <laughs> One more, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna go behind Reinhardt's back one more time uh-huh. for his own good. He's the Kaiser. He decides, yes, he decides that it is better to just stamp out the Earth Cult once yes. and for all than to let them slink into the shadows. Bitfield tries to go off again, so Mueller just elbows him in the stomach. He's yes. like, anyway, we need to deal with Earth Cult first. <laughs> right, Mueller understands this time. Like, <laughs> put a leash on Bittenfield before he even gets a chance to open his mouth. Uh, yes, and so stuff happens, like the stealth mission begins, and yeah, Julian and the Island crew hear gunshots from their lounge, and uh... Yes, and they decide they're gonna join the fight. Yes, and uh, sneak through the, uh, sneak through the hallways. Poplin says some dumb shit, like usual, about how everything they've done is constructed the same phrases in different orders for the past (laughs) two seasons. Um, It's very good. And so they take some weapons off of a dead earth cultist and, uh, well, again, shoot some motherfuckers. Let's, let's let's give them the the credit they deserve. Dusty, like they, they, so they basically clock one dude and manage to take his gun. He's got one pistol on him, which Dusty takes. (laughs) Uh, CQC's the motherfucker. And then Dusty just stands alone in the dark hallway, waiting for another Earth Cult dude to run around the corner and just busts this motherfucker like it's no yes. goddamn thing. Now we have guns for just, everybody! Right, and now everybody has picked up a gun, because luckily that dude had two guns. Yes. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they just start, uh, they just start uh, busting caps in, in Earth Cult motherfuckers. Yes, an explosion um, happens in Upstairs' bedroom, and yes. some dudes run out and we're like, I got the Kaiser! Ha ha! And then they get cornered by the Iserlone crew. And shot we the find fuck out up. that uh that there is one Davoulier amongst yes, them. Yes. They and, recognize uh, him. It's Davoulier. Yes. Yes. Julian, of course, demands to know where's the Grand Bishop, and as we suspected, uh turns out that the Grand Bishop was dead all along. Who could have known? He got crushed on Earth, he blew up. Yes, then the Davoulier has been leading things this whole time. And then we are reminded, we are reminded that Julian selfishly only wanted two things. Uh-huh. To save democracy <laughs> and avenge Yang Wenli. Right. And Julian has one of the best fucking God, pre- angry pre-kill one-liners in this entire right. show. He's just like, wait, I recognize you. You were, you were behind all this. I'm just going to shoot you in cold blood. Yes. yes. And Julian basically says... I don't care about the future of the Lohengrom dynasty. I'm just here to kill you for Yang Wenli. And then blasts him. And then says, and for Patrachev, blasts him again. 
and Bloomheart, and then blasts him a third time. And uh, everyone else, you think, and you think my thing is pretty cold hearted, but then Dusty and Pablo come in with a sweet one liner. They'll be like, Hey, save some for the rest of us, huh? Ugh, God, <laughs> just like, a li- a like li- maybe a little too much levity for like shooting a man five times in cold blood. But look, man, I get what you're also, saying, he, he, but also, coming. Also, fuck the Earth yes, cult. Like, absolutely. let it be known, the Glory Chat is an anti-Earth cult I mean, establishment. Yes. Just like, you know, this is the angriest Jun's ever been. Yeah, but I mean, again, remember, I, I do like that they made good on Julian. Julian's, Julian's been such a good kid. He has played the ball. He has he has bent the knee when he's had to bend the knee, and he has fought when he has had to fight. fight. Yeah. But he saved one last selfish thing for himself, Indeed. which is kill the man who killed Young Wen Lee, or, you know, responsible for the grand scheme. <laughs> and uh, he did. Yep, and, uh, and uh, Ballin troops come in to take the guns away, basically. Yeah. And uh, reveals that the room that exploded was not actually the Kaiser's room, but... Uh, no, in fact... Oberstein's room! Yes. Yes, turns out that Oberstein was the one in that room that got bombed, and he is looking bad in a way that is pretty gratuitous kind of like ribs sticking out like there's a just a chunk of his midsection missing and you can see the organs and bones underneath and Mm -hmm. oberstein is basically like oberstein to the end time on me oberstein to the end unflappable to the very end yes oberstein basically says Tell Larbinard that my will is in the third drawer of my desk and make sure to feed chicken to my dog. He's getting old. Let him do whatever he wants. And then the doctor's like, what? <laughs> and then Oberstein's last words recorded for posterity. Larbinard is my butler. Cue music sting. Dun, dun, dun. Oberstein died. <laughs> yes. <laughs> chef's kiss (laughs) like so wonderful it's so good like it is so oberstein pragmatic to the very end it's like you know that like oberstein probably planned like what he would say in his dying moments like ages ago he was like all right when i die i'm gonna tell them my will is here and to feed my dog and then like (laughs) i'm not gonna say oberstein got flapped at the last second or that oberstein got surprised in the last second but i'd like to believe in his last dying moments, Oberstein had one last unexpected epiphany of like, oh, wait, right. Nobody knows who Larbinard is. <laughs> oh, my God. It has to explain. Just, of all the people who get dramatic last words, his Oberstein's last words get to be the dumbest shit possible. Yes. It's and it's, it's very good. It's, it's excellent. Yes. And the narrator points out, nobody knew if Oberstein's death was either a sacrifice where he purposely played the part of the decoy, or if this was just happenstance. Yes. But people on both sides would argue... But nobody was really confident in their position. (laughs) Yes, yes, it's very good. Uh, After all this shooting... Yeah, Mittermeier finally came back. Mittermeier, you missed a lot of shit. Yes, yes he did. Uh, And he's here with 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 young Felix Mittermeier. Yes. Felix Rohenthal. And uh, we get kind of an interesting kind of bit here where Reinhardt, Reinhardt, I guess, comes to the epiphany of like, why did I 
like, why did I make it as far as I did? Yeah. And I, I kind of almost appreciate Reinhardt realizing, you know, no, I did not pull myself up by my hypothetical bootstraps. Like, I got as far as I did because I had a friend. Right. A friend I could I could I mean, confide even, in. A friend I considered an equal. Even Reinhardt is not so self-centered as to, like, downplay the importance of Kirky Eyes. Yes. And so... He asks that he, all he asks of Vittermeyer is that his son be uh, his son's friend. Mm-hmm. That they uh, that they basically watch each other as they grow older. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> it is an incredibly silly moment. Uh, he's like, "All right, Felix, pledge your loyalty to uh, to His Majesty the Kaiser Alec." This kid is like one. They're babies. Like two. He's a baby. Doesn't understand what like, you're saying. Like, it's a baby playing with a newborn, and, like, you know, he's playing with the baby, and everybody's like, stop that, Felix! It's so like, rude. come on, the kids! Uh, Kid can't even speak yet. But, uh, everybody's like, ah, look, they get along already. Uh-huh. Surely they'll definitely, <laughs> that means they'll be friends forever. But, yes, well, uh, and, uh, Reinhardt asks where Overstein is, and Hilda's like, he's away for very important reasons, uh, Right to which Reinhardt replies, he always has important reasons. Um, yes, it's a very Hilda Kaiserin. You are going to. I'm sure you're way smarter than me. You'll be way better at governing all space. And yes, yes. Go ahead and be moving to constitutionalism if you want. You like you'll know best as long yeah, as basically... the smartest person is the one who holds power. Right, as long as the most qualified person is running things. It's it's a very good moment where it's like, it's hard to tell if Reinhardt is finally acquiescing to this because he is tired or because he is perhaps in his dying moments finally realized, like, you know what, maybe I'm actually not the most qualified person mm-hmm. to uh, to comment on this. And, like, yeah, F it, yeah. Hilda, you take care and of it. He even says, like, if, if my son, if Alexander Siegfried doesn't have the capacity to rule space, then there's no reason to keep the Longgram dynasty yes. around in the first place. And I want to talk about this moment. Yes. Um, now is the time. It is with this scene that Reinhardt establishes the precedent for how the succession of his empire will go. And that is, he did not really establish a precedent <laughs> for how the succession of his empire will go. And I think this is very interesting because, frankly, this is what I suspected would happen. And, again, Reinhardt did this willingly, but with the hindsight of history, I can't help but wonder if centuries from now, everybody will say, man, that Reinhardt guy was a great, was, was a great like, warlord. Too bad he did such a bad job of establishing <laughs> His succession. Like, succession rights that things immediately descended into civil war two generations later. Because, strap in, folks. This reminds me <laughs> of something that happened in real history. Oh, play the tune that for is... Real History Tangent. <laughs> yes, play the History Tangent theme song. I wish we had one. <laughs> the last episode. But, uh, what it reminds me of is the succession of the Mongol Empire under Genghis Khan. This is a long one, folks. I apologize if you don't care much for me rambling about history, but this one means a lot to me. And so, I bring up Genghis Khan, because Genghis Khan, in many ways, reminds me of Reinhard. And that is that, in all aspects, both were decisive. 
the thing that kind of defined both Reinhardt and Genghis Khan is that they were men of action. They did not dilly-dally. They did not doubt themselves. Both made mistakes, but they always committed to their actions. And so this is why historians often wonder why Genghis Khan ultimately proved so unsure of himself in deciding his successor and why in many ways this specific action doomed the Mongol Empire. In the years prior to his death, when Genghis Khan knew he was not long for the world, he met with his four primary sons. These were Joki, Chakatai, Ogade, and Tolui. In traditional Mongol society, it's important to meet with your sons to discuss, like, the succession, and more importantly, in Mongol society, the successor has to be agreed upon through a unanimous vote of the inner circle of your of your primary sons. Okay. Now, usually this is pretty straightforward in Mongol uh, succession society. Uh, in Mongol succession, you either pick the eldest or the youngest son. This would be Joki or Tolui, respectively. Here's where the problem comes. Genghis Khan didn't really think any of his sons were particularly qualified for the job. <laughs> so, here's the issue. His first two sons, Joki and Chagatai, hate each other. I'm not going to get into it here, but basically this is because of Joki's questionable birth circumstances. And while Genghis himself officially recognized Joki as his own true son and his firstborn son, Chagatai, the secondborn, never accepted this, viewing Joki as a bastard and a pretender. And... Mm. As a result, neither of them could be picked, because if one was right. picked, the other would inevitably rebel. Right, so no unanimous vote. No unanimous vote there. As for his youngest, Tolui, comes a different set of problems. And in this thing, here's where I think Genghis Khan, frankly, was more self-aware than, um, than, uh, Reinhard. than Reinhard. And here is the problem. So, Tolui was often called the mirror image of his father. In fact, his name even means uh, mirror or reflection in Mongolian. Uh, in the, the, in how specifically, he was described as a natural warrior and a great general. He was considered a bold and audacious tactician, and of his four sons, the most accomplished fighter. However, Tolui was also his father's son in the worst ways as well. He was often described as sadistic, even needlessly cruel and violent at times. And Genghis Khan himself recognized that these traits are what allowed him to create his grand empire, but that these traits would become a serious liability in peacetime. And so that left the third son, Ogade. And Ogade is an interesting one. He was often considered not that intelligent, and frankly, not a very good fighter either. In fact, others would often accuse him of being too soft to be a proper Mongol. However, he did possess some interesting traits. Most importantly, he was always known to be good-natured, down-to-earth, and easygoing. Ah, what a wimp. <laughs> you know, <laughs> look... Power comes in different forms. <laughs> and uh, not only did he get along with all of his brothers, but 
he was often considered to possess great emotional intelligence. Of all of the sons, Ogude was the one who understood the importance of statecraft and diplomacy. However, he was prone to severe alcoholism, and in fact, this alcoholism would lead him to an early grave. Mm. Nonetheless, of the four, Ogade was considered Genghis Khan's primary choice for inheritor to the throne. Unfortunately, the meeting itself to decide this did not go so smoothly. Uh, according to sources, as soon as the meeting started, Joki and Chagatai, like Bittenfield and Valen or something, just immediately start fighting. Like, they just immediately start getting into it. And Genghis Khan is so exasperated that <laughs> things would just go sour this quickly. Gets up and decides that from here on out, the Empire will be divided into four subsections known as Khanates. Oh, boy. And, and each of these Khanates... Uh, each son and their family line would have total dominion, answering exclusively to one mutually agreed upon great Khan. And that should that great Khan ever falter in his leadership, that the leader of one of the other Khanates would have the right to take his place. Does this sound familiar? Uh, <laughs> Rather yes. than really solve anything... It actually just left the question of succession in an even more uncertain place. And in fact, it's kind of along these exact lines that Genghis Khan divided that the empire itself would eventually fracture and collapse under. And basically, by not setting out a clear pattern for succession, it kind of ensured that the Mongol Empire would be paralyzed by un uncertainty and infighting for the rest of its reign. And, you know, this is not to say there awesome. weren't great... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason why the Mongol Empire dissolves in less than two centuries. And, I don't know, it, that's the kind of thing I think about when I think about the end of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Like, Reinhardt reminds me of Genghis Khan in a lot of ways. Like, he is intelligent, decisive, and, you know, prone to fits of fury and unchecked violence. And so, kind of despite the both of them creating these legendary empires, I kind of wonder if, uh, I kind of wonder if, like, his, you know, sure, the narrator didn't say this, but I kind of wonder if the historians of the future will, uh, <laughs> will comment on how poor of a job Reinhardt did in setting up a clear line of succession. Yes, but perhaps things will go just fine, as Hilda sets up a parliament and a constitution... Yeah, I mean, Maybe. again, that's the thing. I mean, that is the great thing about this story, right? Is like, I'm just, I mean, I'm just commenting on the how the on the way real history went for a yes. similarly legendary empire. Right. But you know, maybe, maybe smarter, maybe smarter minds will prevail. Maybe Hilda will manage to keep maybe. things keep things running. But yes. and so Reinhard von Lohengram passes away at 25. Uh, <laughs> what have I done with my life? I haven't conquered space yet. Um, well, boy, don't want to get into uh, uh, yeah, not, not. Do not start comparing uh, his, yourself so to Reinhardt. So his reign lasted just over two years, um, yes. and Hilda stands up and dusts herself off and gives the company line that the Kaiser did not die of illness; he died because he used up all of his lifespan. Yes, conquering space. I mean, again, 
Like, don't feel bad about not accomplishing as much as Reinhardt did by the time you turned 25. Because I, I guess Reinhard, I'm not, I guess I passed 25 and I'm not dead yet, so... Right. Also, Reinhardt accomplished more than, like, some people do in their entire lifetimes, so... Uh, yes, and so... Reinhardt is officially dead. Everyone cries. Uh, yes. Bueller delivers the news to Julian. Yes. It says, uh, Prince Alec will send the throne. Hildil will be the, uh, the uh, Prince Regent until he becomes of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heinesen and the Violet Star Zone will have their autonomy. And, yes. uh, and you better not resist in giving back Isolone fortress <laughs> even now there's still yes hey, look diplomacy is so thing. of course Julian's like we will by all means fulfill our promise and uh I'd like to express my condolences on the Kaiser's passing etc etc yeah and uh and then Julian reaches into the closet and pulls out the wheel of morality uh <laughs> to give us our lesson for today Yes. Far less than for the past year and a half. One, one last far too real introspective speech uh, from our friend Julian. Yes, and how it cost billions of lives and several hundred years to achieve this momentary peace. Yeah. Uh, and if only people hadn't ignored politics, uh, and if only they understood how dangerous it was to give unlimited power to a despot, and if only they'd learned from history about how miserable it is to have a government that prioritizes national profits over human rights, then maybe we wouldn't have had to sacrifice so much. <sighs> time. Time is a flat circle. It seems. In any uh, age. <laughs> uh, the deeds of man <laughs> remain the same. That, uh, just, that, you know, like, in post- for posterity's sake, we're recording this podcast on, you know, in mid-December of 2019, and President Trump has just been impeached. Uh, UK elections just happened. The UK elections also just happened, and the Conservative Party won. Um, there's a lot going on in this time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like the old Chinese phrase goes, you know, may you live in interesting times, and we are sure living in them. And, you know, as we enter the end of this decade, Legend of the Galactic Heroes byline of no matter the time and age, the deeds of men remain the same, becomes an increasingly depressing one. (laughs) Like, I feel like it really says something that a solid 30 years after this show aired, it feels like we didn't learn a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, you know, Julian, That's... I mean, at the end of the day, I think what Julian really does with this speech is get into like the key of like, I mean, a, if only we could, if only we learned from our predecessors, but also B, he kind of gets into what I argue is the core conceit of legend of the galactic heroes, which again, is not quite, you know, fence-sitting centrism, but it is an argument that it isn't really a political system that is inherently uh, benevolent or not, but it is that the constructs of that political system make them uniquely suited and often uniquely vulnerable yes, to exploitation way. and corruption in unique ways. Season one saw both 
the FPA and the Golden Bomb dynasty in their lowest moments. You know, let us not forget that the first political entity we witnessed the death of in this series was not the FPA, but the Golden Bomb dynasty. Yeah. And that both the Golden Bomb dynasty and the FPA, despite being radically different political systems, were both essentially destroyed by corruption, self-interest, and cronyism. And that at the end of the day, you know, the show is more or less just asking <laughs> in the long run, though, which which is the one that's worth fighting for? Which is the one that, you know, despite the ups and downs can, as Yawen Lee so desired back in season one, can give us these fleeting moments of peace? Right. Whichever one can give that peace that can protect the people, the common people's rights, like, you know, <laughs> it's hard, it's and, hard uh, to walk of it's, not like, yeah, like, like you said, there's a difference between like both sides waffling and genuinely like examining what genuinely examining both with the same end goal in mind of, you know, Helping the common folk, I guess. Right. I mean, this. I want to echo a conversation we had uh, a long time ago <laughs> when Yang Wenli and Reinhardt met for the fir- in person for the first time. And one of the things we brought up was that despite their political differences, they both agreed that there are, in fact, some fundamental human rights that exist in this universe. Yeah. That there are things that every individual in this galaxy deserves. You know, uh, happiness, welfare, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, food, (laughs) (laughs) like that there are these basic things that regardless of your feelings about what is the best system to achieve these, that all people deserve these things. And with kind of that as the final introspective political speech in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, uh, we kind of return to uh we kind of return to the real world where julian is talking with karen basically mm-hmm. about uh well what's next and our poor our our, our precious son of democracy julian minchi <laughs> has not earned his retirement quite no yet. he says he is going to remain a soldier uh-huh. and that he will continue to fight autocracy and defend democracy yep. and that perhaps someday someday he will re- he will retire to become a historian, just as Yang would have wanted. Yep. Because present Yang's writings to the to future generations. Because is it not our responsibility our responsibility to at least try and leave behind our lessons for the future? Yes. Give them then, the opportunity to reflect upon what has happened. Yes. Even if they don't learn, even if they don't actually take those lessons to heart, <laughs> we have to at least try. And then on that very sober note, Poplin <laughs> stumbles in. Apparently, I've been uh, just taking a shower. Yeah, towel around his neck. And he's just like, what's up, guys? <laughs> what, are, what are you guys leaving Fazan? And uh, yes. it turns out Poplin is staying behind on Fazan. Yep. He, uh, he, will, not, he will not rejoin the Izzerlone fleet. And, uh, you know, Julian kind of quietly muses that perhaps this is Poplin's way of leaving this era behind. Mm-hmm. You know, that we don't see it that often. You know, we don't see 
this side of Poplin much, but I feel like this scene yeah. is in many ways like it is Poplin coming to terms with the era he has lived through. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's a jokester, a charlatan. I, I don't deny those parts are true to his character, but I think even Poplin is quite frankly deeply tired of the last after these last few years. He's yeah, he's watched a lot of friends die. You know, mm-hmm. Konev. Uh, uh, uh Shenkop, Yang Wen Li. He, I think he's done fighting. You know, he, he, he doesn't want to fight anymore. In many ways, I, I almost think back to when Poplin says he dies at age twenty nine at the Battle of Shiva Star Zone. Like, <laughs> is that Pop? Like, I'm not saying oh Poplin secretly has PTSD or something, but like, was that Poplin admitting that like on some level he is fatigued? He is. He is tired. He his war is over. Yes. He, you know, and Yep. And so he grabs the kids and says, <laughs> "Let's meet again. again in 20 years and let's badmouth those who died and left us behind." And I feel like I don't know. I like this one specific shot of Poplin like looking up into the sky is like weirdly well drawn. It's like I mean, we've been getting a lot of that these few episodes. Yeah, I just like he's like, "Oh, of course Poplin gets like maybe the best like it's like the penultimate scene of the show." Yes. Like fuck, not Dusty, not not Reinhardt, not Hilda, fucking Poplin Navy. Olivier Poplin gets like the third to last important scene in this show, staring off into the distance, yearning for old times, uh, and then yep. basically walks off stage. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's go talk to Dusty about our plans. And yes, uh, and cut to the final scene of the show, I guess. Where yeah, Mittermeier is outside with Felix, and uh, you know, looking at the stars. <laughs> and more more importantly, Mittermeier's kind of thinking about how he's basically the only one left of the original crew, right? Yeah. Like of the original Kirky Eyes, Reinhard, uh, Royenthal, and himself crew. Yes. Like, how the hell did he manage to be the one who survives all of this? Yeah. But, uh. And, uh, Felix starts calling him dad, father. Yes. So it feels as if the Kaiser's spirit had entered his child. Um,. And it was a silly thought, but he wanted to believe that the Kaiser would live on in some way. Yes, yeah, and you know, kind of, kind of a good bit here. Kind of very, you know, I, compared to Julian's speech, I wouldn't really say this is as much of like, you know, as introspective or as representative of the themes of the mm-hmm. show. But this they kind works, of basically end better as a final line. <laughs> yes, yes, basically, uh, we have Felix reaching for the stars. Yes. You know that. Perhaps human beings will always pursue yes. the things they cannot reach. Yes, perhaps perhaps this is a common gesture repeated in any era on any planet with life. <laughs> we reach for the stars. Yes, and so, at least as far as we are concerned, as far as we, the viewer, are concerned, the legend ends and history begins. Uh-huh. That is Legend of the Galactic Heroes. 110 episodes. Yeah. 110 episodes, my friends. Oh, boy. We did it. We, we did we it. We got to the end. end. We made it to the end. Our Just journey like among the two stars. Just like them. We have we have also <sighs> transcended into the new era. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah. 
I think we'll save a lot of this for the second half, but maybe we can just, you know, mm. real briefly talk about, uh, I don't know, just oh, the show's how does it feel? Good. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, this show is is magnificent. I... This is gonna stick with this one's gonna stick with me for a long time, yeah. if not forever. I uh, <laughs> there's just there's just none quite like it. Mm-hmm. None, none quite like this show. Yeah, it's just and, been like a part of our lives for so long now. Yeah, you know. I mean, like, it's it's funny. A year isn't really that long in the grand scheme of things, but. A year and a half, but it I, it feels weird to not have this show to look forward to anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think I think we'll save that for yeah, we'll save that for the next half. So with that, folks, we're gonna take a quick break. If you've listened to us uh, up till now, you kind of know. But as always, when we reach the end of the season. We divide the podcast into two halves. The first is dedicated to recapping the episodes, which we watched this week. And the second half is where we will bring in our guests, Marlon and Jell, to discuss uh, all of our thoughts and feelings about the season as a whole. So stay tuned. We're not done yet. Welcome back, everyone. You're now listening to the second portion of this podcast, where we'll be talking about season four as a whole. Our thoughts, our feelings, you know, uh, cashing some bets, and maybe against all odds, even in our final recap podcast, we'll uh, still somehow find a way to make some predictions about what's to come. Now, uh, we're coming in a little hot here. Uh, I've been very busy and haven't had much time to prepare. In fact, I've come in here uh, completely empty-handed, like Yang Wen Li to a negotiation. And just like how when Yang Wen Li died and the Iserloan Republic banded together to pick up the slack, surely the other three here with me have already done the work to ensure <laughs> the survival and prosperity of this podcast. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah. If right, guys. If did the work you mean did not die. Um, <laughs> can, can I just be the I poplin mean, that doesn't have to do much, but still gets all I'm the credit? I'm surviving. What are you talking <laughs> about? Yes. Poplin killed like 250 people. Uh, no, not, not like the killing. I mean like in the, the maintenance of the Republic, like diplomatically. I mean, in all some ways, surviving, <laughs> surviving is winning, so. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, Let's introduce those folks you just heard. Returning, as always, is my co-host, Eero. I'm still here after the portion one of this podcast. Uh, backing him up is the man with the clipboard himself, Jell. You know, I've, uh, I'm just getting over this fever, and I swear this is the last one. I'm, I'm going uh, to be here on it. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad yeah. to hear it. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. had a fever like every month for the last like two <laughs> years. 
I'm sure it's surely, fun. Yes, surely. Gotta go, to the, gotta go to the cafe and get the like collagen tea or whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, with us to ring in the new era and to talk badly about those who died is Marlon. <laughs> Man, I just got back from Italy yesterday, and it makes me really wish they had an episode about space jet lag. Because that has to be a how, real bitch. <laughs> I wonder how time zones work in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Do you think yeah, that, they, like... Well, they have those magic sleep chambers, right? That they talked yeah, about way true. back when. Yeah. That Man, might, that those, things come up, those things only come up like three times in that show, but every time they do, I'm just like, big mood. I wish I had a right. magical sleep chamber. <laughs> but you're still hungry. Yeah, you know, well, still yeah. eight hours of sleep for one. I'd do that any day of the week. Yeah, imagine I could imagine how much harder I could work. It's the perfect <laughs> tool of the capitalist uh, system. I was going to say, don't, don't, I could, don't kill yourself, G. <laughs> don't don't give don't give them any ideas. Oh, now that you only have to sleep one hour. You can work 20 Mine no. hours from the mother mountains and sent to uh, the work worlds and. Pair that up with that um that toilet that starts to angle you off after five minutes. God, that thing is. <laughs> in what? Anyway, oh, oh, you, have, you haven't heard of that, man. Oh yeah, man, right, so, off topic. So like this, like I right, fuck it. We, this is exactly what this podcast is for. So like some like fucking like I don't know, yeah, fucking but, tech bro ass company or something recently announced that they were gonna like introduce like modified toilets or something to their offices that are basically angled angled downwards at like 13 degrees to make it more uncomfortable to sit in yeah sit on so So, like to like (laughs) prevent people from like wasting time on their phones or shitting too long right (laughs) it's just it's Uh, like it's like some truly like you know capitalistic nightmare like all the money from that and like donate towards like social welfare or something <laughs> i know uh, i know that, that I know. really was like a some cyberpunk stuff <laughs> i mean the way you tie his back is only thing worse I mean, would way, be if like yeah. the, the toilet like dumped you off literally to just Sucks like it turn at a 90 out. degree angle <laughs> oh like after like five minutes yeah i mean to tie this back to the podcast, I mean, how much do you want to bet that like ninety percent of toilets on Fazan are are built like that? They probably have like a timed lock on every single stall. Yeah. Well, let's talk about our new topic then. Uh, what does the toilets look like in each of the respective territories <laughs> of the Galactic Heroes? So well, I uh, think that in the Empire, toilets are probably kind of like that MacBook. Yes, that, uh, sterling yeah, that silver. <laughs> That's yeah. immediately what I thought of. It's Kirk Geist. It's fucking carved fancy ass. Every, every, every toilet is embossed with gold inlays. This engraving gives you no tactical advantage whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, right. like all, all FPA toilets are like extremely like blocky and kind of like utilitarian looking. And for some reason, they have like six like antennas sticking out of the back that you're not sure. <laughs> Don't actually do, do anything but... yet. Right. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> what do Earth called toilets look like? Um, Hole they're just ground. holes in the ground. Say, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say the Earth Cult doesn't have toilets, <laughs> but uh, all right. Well, now that we've gotten that out of our system <laughs> and got this podcast off to a great start, uh, let's get into our season four recap uh, material. So, as always, um, I can't. Maybe we just kind of go around the room and kind of get everybody's. You know, don't go too long here, but you know, just kind of. Mm-hmm general overall thoughts about season four you know we're maybe we're, we're not going to talk about the show as a whole yet um 
we're still kind of thinking about maybe doing one more podcast after this one where uh, we will kind of discuss the series as a whole and its themes. But for now, I kind of want to get everybody's uh, everybody's takes on uh, season four. Uh, maybe we'll just uh, go around the table. Uh, we'll start with uh, we'll start with the people who haven't said anything yet. So how about uh, Gel? What are your thoughts on season four? Um, is uh, is season four the worst season? I'm just going to throw yes. that out there. Yeah, Man, I, I was going to say the same thing. Wow. Um, I, you guys haven't even listened to the first half of this podcast. No. <laughs> so if you guys have already touched on that, maybe. But I, I, I do feel like it's it, it was a definite. And it's not that it was bad, because there were certainly things I, I liked about it. And I thought the ending was, you know, if a little compact, yeah. at the very least, I think it was um, effective. But uh yeah, it, I don't know if it was. I think I don't think it was any one thing. If it was, it might be the biggest thing. Obviously, Yang being gone, um, and we probably spent you know eighty percent of season four on the Empire side. But uh, I don't know. Even just like the quality of the animation and the directing and stuff like that felt like it took a hit. Um, and I'm you know yeah. trying to keep in uh, mind um, we're no longer we're no longer in the bubble period, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. Trying to keep in mind, this is only almost ten years after season one, right? At this point, right? So, I, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say it was disappointing, but like if I were to do a, a season power ranking, I would have uh, four at the bottom, um, just because you know it, it was not up to the same level of quality as the other seasons. It kind of reminded me a lot of uh, Avatar. The first season, of, or you know, the first, oh, the last the first Airbender. Okay. yeah, sorry, av- the first run of Avatar: The Last Airbender, where the show is amazing, but I, I just think the ending is a little unsatisfying in a way that made it like it, it's still amazing, but it didn't end as well as I thought it could. I mean, honestly, that's a weirdly that weirdly lines up pretty well. Like Avatar, like had kind of a like season one of both series is kind of like them starting to like explore the setting and like kind of right. find their pacing. Mm-hmm. Seasons like two through three is like really the peak of it because it's like gotten comfortable with where it is and you know can play with some really interesting climaxes. And then like, wait, was Avatar three seasons or four? No, it, was it was only three. three seasons. Okay, fine. So then you know it the middle yeah, seasons it line were very strong. Up. Yeah. And then the last season, like the beginning of the last season starts pretty good. And then like by like the back half of the last season, it's like the writers just realize, oh, crap, we have like a million things we have to tie up. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I feel like, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking is there's a lot of these parallels. And I still really love the show. And, you know, it doesn't detract from how much I really enjoyed the first three seasons. But I just I mean, I I think for better or worse, you know. Legend of the Galactic Heroes at its worst is still a pretty damn good show. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was still very much on the edge of my seat. I need to watch these three episodes immediately. Oh, uh, yeah. Every t- that never stopped. Like my anticipation never <laughs> stopped. It's just, you know, if we're if we're grading on the curve of the show as a whole, it definitely felt like a dip in quality. Although I do feel I think- like my desire must have been a little Less because you guys actually beat me to the end of the show, which usually I would be like six <laughs> episodes ahead of you guys. Yeah, yeah, I still remember you watching games. all of season two in the first week. <laughs> <laughs> I was just really eager. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was so good. 
Yeah. I, I, I can't blame him too much for it, but yeah. I think it's interesting that we kind of all arrive at this conclusion. I think, like, uh, for for better or worse, I, I do, I mean, I'm not going to echo, you know, I'm not going to repeat what I said in the first half of this podcast, but I do think that for better or worse, season four, it this, is, it, this isn't just us being fanboys desperate for more Legend of the Galactic Heroes, but I really do think that the plot of season four could have be easily been split into two whole seasons, yeah. I think. Yeah, condensing Royenthal's rebellion and kind of the the wrapping up of Reinhardt's reign into one season really, it really does hurt a lot of certain like plot developments for better or worse. You know the the Earth cult kind of just fizzles away. Goes just kind of fizzles out. Same with Rubinsky. I mean, hell, same yeah. with Royenthal, right? I mean, right, remember yeah, we were talking wasn't... about how. Yeah, like right. we all thought Roythal's like rebellion was going to be like the cataclysmic event that like shakes the empire, you know, to its foundation, and then it's more like, <laughs> nah, Mittermeier took care of it. <laughs> yeah, which, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because I thought at the end of season three they were saying that Roythal's fleet strength was way more than yeah, what... he got he got yeah. shot in the back right. a couple but times, but like wow, not all of them. Like just because he has command of all of these ships doesn't mean all of them are loyal to Royenthal. Right, right. right. I mean, I mean that's what really like, undid him, right? Like it was the yeah. divisions on there. Like, but. like logically, I understand how why Royenthal's plot goes the way it does because it's trying to explain like Reinhardt isn't just amazing on his own. He is amazing because he has like half a dozen amazing dudes he can throw at any problem. Whereas Royenthal didn't have that, and like that's kind of the difference that makes the makes that rebellion go the way it does. But I, I think yeah. on like a more meta level, the way these plot lines were so like quickly cleaned up, uh, I definitely kind of, you know, again, like, like you two, I, I really, you know, I love this show's hold, but I would definitely agree that season four is, uh, is maybe the weakest. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard. Endings are hard. Endings are hard. And in many ways, it, it doesn't surprise me that even a show like Legend of the Galactic Heroes would would stumble a bit in the ending because I mean it's a it's a show that's not like built for built to end right like <laughs> right yeah, right so, I think I've, I think we we talked about this kind of okay. uh, is that like because of how the show is built of here's a slice of history right and like here's the past history and here's the people are gonna write about this time in the future. Like at some point, you just have to pick a cutoff spot, right? Right. Uh, yep. Yeah, right. And I think I think they. I mean, I think that was the appropriate place to cut it off. I. I mean, I just that. Right. How how we how we got here felt a little. Uh, especially, I actually thought the I was kind of okay with the Ruinthal stuff. It was everything after that yeah. was a little more crammed yeah. in than maybe it should have been. Yeah. But. It's also, like, kind of amazing just how, like, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be the testament of how well at Roy, uh, uh, Reinhard picked his generals or his admirals. But, like, the idea that, unlike Alexander the Great, you have this great leader and then nobody has any temptation to seize power, well, other than Royenthal at the end. You know, like, you have all, like, these six guys who are supposed to be some of the most powerful admirals in the world. And they're all willing to rally around a like three month old baby. <laughs> I mean, so for transparency, when I was going to uh, end the first half of this podcast with my grand final historical tangent, I was in fact trying to 
I was I was in fact conflicted between should my tangent be about Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great in terms <laughs> of uh, whose succession I think is more fitting to the themes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. But I, I do get what you're saying, Marlon. I think again, it, it, we have to remember, like as grounded as Legend of the Galactic Heroes is in many ways, in the ways it talks about society and politics, it is still a space opera, right. and it does not surprise me. That, I mean. I would I would argue yes, like quote unquote realistically. I'll put it this way: if if the Empire had to play to the same grounded rules that the FPA did, <laughs> then yes, definitely some of those admirals would have had some delusions of grandeur. But because the Empire is so goddamn ridiculous and like romanticized, <laughs> yeah. like and, of course, and we don't. And this might get into uh, one of our topics later. We don't know what happens ten years from now, right? Like exactly. Sure. I mean, so like for now, yes. I mean. You have to remember, like, Reinhardt's death is very fresh in the memories of the people around him at the end of that show. Like, right. in the same way that, remember, they talk about with Yang, with Yang's death, like, they can use Yang's death as, like, a symbol. But even they recognize that symbol will only, will only hold meaning for so long. Right. Like, people will rally to Yang's side, but only for so long, only for as long as he remains within living memory. And I think that's kind of in play with Reinhardt as well. Like, these admirals, you know, have declared their undying loyalty to him, but, yeah, like, you know, as even the show itself implies, what about 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Like, remember, we, we saw, we only saw, like, less than a decade of Reinhardt's life in in this show. Or, or well, I mean, you know, we had his childhood, but, like, in terms of, like, quote-unquote, present day, and we saw even less years go by for the individual admirals. I mean, what is Mittermeier going to be like in 20 years? What? How about Bittenfield? Is Bittenfield going to be, like, <laughs> bored and itching for a fight in 10 years? Like, is he going to, like, just look for an excuse? I mean, maybe not Royenthal level of self, self-defeating, self but... <laughs> right. It, it, or, or even not them. It could be any number of the like smaller, you know, admirals who were not as close to Reinhardt. Right? They only knew Reinhardt in terms of reputation. They were never personally acquainted with him. And uh, you know, I think I think that is kind of one of the things that the show does strongly that we've all been talking about is the thing it really does well is is it understands that stories like quote unquote realistically stories don't end when we stop watching them. You know, they they life goes on and it's just it's just we won't be we 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 won't have the privilege to see uh-huh. what happens next the galactic heroes are no longer on the stage so it's time to close the curtain exactly right. but uh let's you know before we move on to that let's uh, let's reminisce a little bit more about <laughs> about season 4 so as always we kind of like want to talk about our favorite moments here you know they're whether it's a specific scene or a whole episode we usually there you know we we like to kind of highlight what were our personal uh our personal favorite moments of any given season um again maybe we just go around the table uh Eero, favorite moment of the season uh the shot job trunic <laughs> man you yeah. really got, yeah. uh, i want to say that so yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna yeah. say is that just gonna be everybody's favorite moment <laughs> just the emotional payoff on it was on that it moment. wasn't even just uh, that he got shot but that like we finally wiped that smug look off his face <laughs> like, yeah no i right i totally and, like how 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 
bad a person you have to be that like somebody like Runthal's like in their dying hours are like checking off the things they need to do before they die right. and one of them is shooting you like <laughs> right like uh, the one Ryan. time where you're like I'm just going to cheer of <laughs> when, so- when somebody shoots an unarmed man like <laughs> old blood yes. we're like, it's yeah, very finally, good <laughs> somebody shot this man in cold blood well yes right. like <laughs> there was that and uh there was uh in the final episode with Julian uh oh shooting the hell out of De Villiers. yeah who oh yeah it's a very good moment yeah which yeah. i don't know if i would say that's my favorite moment but kind of a similar <laughs> thing if you think about it too hard uh yeah i mean there's yeah. a good emotional payoff there you know sure. like like you know it's um, it, it, I, we talk about it a little bit in the in the prior half of this, but there's something very satisfying about you know Julian, our precious boy Julian, son of democracy Julian, who is like for most of season four been like kind of tasked with this very unenviable task and has largely lived up to the expectations and kept his own emotions in check, mm-hmm. but he finally gets his hands on the man responsible for Yang's death. And it rings back to like that thing the narrator said at like the beginning of season four, that Julian held in his heart only two desires yes. to ensure the survival of democracy and then his own personal selfish desire to avenge Yang Wenli. <laughs> yeah, no, I like, yeah. I, I think it, I think it was interesting to see Julian standing up and being his own man. And like, like you said, like that's one, that's like one of the only things that he personally cared about. Um, you yeah. might be able to debate yeah. whether it was right or wrong for him to just shoot the guy, but I whatever I man is going to really. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to really argue too hard on that one. Um, right. Look on the list of people, nobody's going to shed tears for in this show. Like, yeah. it's like the Earth Cult, uh, uh, Lang, Job Trunit, and like Adrian Rubinsky. Rubinsky. Oberstein. <laughs> and Oberstein. And Oberstein, yeah. yes, yes. Um, huh, ironically what? then, all of them are dead by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd uh, say if we can't use uh, uh, that, then I, I did have this thought of, I really liked the scene. It's kind of close to the beginning of the season where, um, like Julian is really kind of agonizing over his new role as leader. And he gets some mm-hmm. encouragement from one of the younger, uh, like kind of new cadets. And it, it oh, was kind yeah. of an interesting, like passing of the torch of him giving the cadet advice where, where, like, where he's like, when he's like sitting on the young bench. Yes. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, like the, him becoming the new young, like how and thinking this must be how young had felt like the heaviness that was upon his head in his heart that it, and him having to pass on hope to the next generation. I, I, I like that scene. No, I think, I think that is a good one. I think that cause I, cause you know, kind of, as you guys kind of alluded to season four is uh, entirely devoid of Yang Wenli as a character. And as a result, you know, we really don't get as many of those introspective moments that we got so used to in the first three seasons. And, I definitely did appreciate that moment as like just Julian kind of, you know, Julian realizing, oh, like every time Yang like took a nap or drank tea or <laughs> sat on the table pretending to be like a lackadaisical dumbass, like actually he was deeply concerned about all of these things and 
just always had to maintain this brave face so that the rest of the Israel Republic could be a bunch of like dumb jokesters. Right. Yeah. I would uh, just throw in uh, in our long line of terrible love confessions when uh, Karen uh, asks. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think. Oh, I think, terrible! Uh, I think it might be the. Best. I think I laughed. I, this might be the hardest I laughed in season four when when Julian's like, "I love you," and she's like, "Democracy is amazing." <laughs> yes, uh, my favorite pair of screen I mean, caps from the season. It's it's uh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's very good. This this season had a couple of very good confessions. I mean, yeah. remember as far back as you know, Reinhardt showing up at the Mariendorf yes. residence, Shoujo Reinhardt, oh, yeah, right. giant bouquet of flowers, and like blushing and stammering, right? It's, and then like, and then Papa Mariendorf just no selling it. <laughs> you know he's got you know he's got to do the job of the stern father-in-law, and he he pulls it off magnificently. Right. I, I would say. That would not be my favorite moment, but I actually do like the Reinhardt confession because it is a side of Reinhardt we have not seen since the days of Kirky Eyes. It, it is right. that reminder that, oh, right, Reinhardt was this kind of awkward, like, very, like, emotional bundle of nerves that, like, just did an amazing job of keeping that all under wraps. But around the, like, less than five people in the world who can see the real him, you are reminded that, oh, right. This part of Reinhardt never really went away. <laughs> right. And they kind of like, um, even when he, when he dies, like in his final moments, they kind of call back to that when the, like, like Anna Rose notices it where he's like kind of reverts back to, you know, this awkward kid in his uh, final moments or whatever. Like that's kind of what yeah. they're going for, I guess. Um, yeah. Even though he's, you know, at that time, the most powerful person in the galaxy. He's still only 25 years old, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't remind yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, look, it doesn't... Once again, it, remember Alexander <laughs> the Great. Yeah, I mean, look, man, it already feels bad thinking about how much Yang Wen Lee accomplished by the time he turned 30, <laughs> so don't remind me about Reinhardt. Yeah. yeah. Well, Reinhardt's not a real person, so it's fine. But <laughs> Man, I'm in my Poplin uh, year, too, about to turn 30. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, were you also born on the thirty sixth of a uh, trizet? <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Uh, uh, I want to uh, shout out um, Royenthal saying, "Give my child to Bitterbier," <laughs> is uh, very goofy and overwrought and wonderfully poetic. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Moment. Yes, everything to do with like you know the last you know the last day of Oscar von Royal I think is very good. I I really do like it. Uh, you know there's like it, it, it like like even just to get to the job Trunic thing like there's a very like it's very Royenthal to the very end. All of it like he's like the thing we've always loved about Royenthal is like he kind of has the. He kind of has the attention to detail, like the obsessive attention to detail that someone like Oberstein has, but is tempered by his like very empire inspired like sense of machismo and romanticism mm -hmm. like like it, for him like for him it is like in many ways it is just as important to Roythal as it is to Oberstein to like dot the i's and cross the t's it's just that Roythal will do it while like dropping one-liners and ranting about how much he hates women uh -huh. and you know it, it, drinking it, and, and drinking and like you know yeah. it, it's like it reminds me of like you know you know those headlines of like 
you know, like family dog, like goes a thousand miles to reunite with family or something. Except with Roenthal, the headline would be like rebellious dictator travels a thousand light years to shoot job Trunick. <laughs> like just like the, the whole, like, like the whole, just, uh, yeah, just the whole obsessiveness of it of like, well, I lost, but I can't die here. Like, cause yeah, he, like, like Roy Dalt, like seems initially like the kind of guy who would go out like Bucock, right? Like, Oh, I'm done here. Yes. It's time for my suicidal final charge. Right. But then Roy Dalt's like, I really want to do a suicidal charge, but I got all these errands I got to take care of before I die. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I got to go home. I got to like release the guys I held under house arrest. I need to, you know, make sure everything is in order. Mm-hmm. Got to make sure that this baby gets to Mittermeier <laughs> to my best friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to write my will uh-huh. and shoot job Trunick. Yep, <laughs> and there's just a. Uh, it, it is a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah. I think for me, if we're going to talk about moments that ha- we haven't talked about yet, I, I'm not even trying to call this my favorite moment, but I really do want to shout out kind of Julian's rise to being, uh, not, not just leadership of the Israelone Republic, but also like fleet commander of the Israelone Republic. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Julian is kind of entirely untested at the beginning of season four, right? Like, yeah. Like, if you actually think about, like, Julian's, like, in-universe accomplishments at the beginning of season four, it is, like, he is a decent hand-to-hand combatant, he is deeply knowledgeable about politics and history, and he's shot down a couple ships, right? But, like, he's never, like, led a government. He's never led a fleet. Right. And so, mainly the battle where he, like, dunks on Valen is is one I like a lot because it's it, it, it reminds me of the reasons we all love like when Yang Wen Lee fights. Like because it really doesn't matter who you throw at Yang. Like like you know this show is all about ah oh, the the terrible the tragedy of war and like the the the, the death it causes and like how twisted is it that these men would like you know, respect each other or like be friendly when they're responsible for millions of deaths. It's like, yes, yes, that's all well and good. Very tragic that that man there is like piling his guts back into his like (laughs) distended stomach. But also (laughs) deep down, deep down, we all fucking love it when (laughs) Yang Wen Lee, fucking big dick Yang just comes here and just throws a a boulder at somebody (laughs) or... (laughs) blows up an empty ship and and so julian's first battle is kind of brings back some of those vibes right of like like you know like luring these two separate armies into firing range of ezer load and then like thor hammering like both of them basically is like one of those kind of like it's like the battlefield equivalent of a hat trick it's just so (laughs) fucking smooth it's so good Mm -hmm. and the way that ties into like the battle, like the battle of Shiva Star Zone, the final battle, where like every admiral's like, "Oh, this must be the work of Mercats. No admiral could be this skilled." It's like, "Nah, son, it's all Julian Minchi." Right. Uh. <laughs> yeah. 
Any other good yeah, moments? Do we have any other favorites, or do we want to... If if not, then I think we start getting into some of the characters we have specifically written about here, because <laughs> yeah. despite our complaints about Season 4, I would say the thing Season 4 does well is that it brings certain characters into the forefront and lets them rise to the occasion. Uh, one of those being uh, one Ernest Mecklinger, the, uh, <laughs> oh, the, the poet yeah. admiral who... Uh, was largely absent from the first three seasons of this show because usually anytime Reinhardt did anything, he was like, Mittermeier, you're with me. Reinhardt, you got my back. Bittenfield, you're over there. Mecklinger, stay behind. <laughs> and yeah. by this point important in the show... Job, uh, you know. Oh, no, no. For, very for noted job. Renaissance man, Admiral Mecklinger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just yes. like... It's, it was fun that, like, oh, now that Reinhardt's lost enough named admirals, he's actually forced to bring Mecklinger out. Right. And uh, we had a lot of good moments. I mean, again, they call him Admiral. Did he lead a single fleet in um, season he, four? He, he led, oh, in season four. Yeah, I, I actually don't remember. <laughs> I think I think uh, I, I mostly in season four, he was almost like chief of staff, wasn't he, for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was mostly the adventures of Detective Mecklinger, yeah, right? Like uncovering the Roenthal Rebellion plot, and because uh, I right. was, think- um, I was thinking like the last time he led a fleet was when he, uh, the last Yang battle when he was going to go towards Ezerlone, but then the Yang brought out the entire Ezerlone fleet to make him turn right. back, and then he did he like. Just- Go ahead. He, well, and then he like he just fled for the rest of the battle because he wanted to protect Odin, and that was pretty much all he did. <laughs> like there was no fight. There was just oh man, that's a lot of ships. Better turn around. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. During like like you said, during the Roenthal's rebellion, like he did pass through alone. Um, to, like, right. Right. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Brought the fleet through. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Right, but, but that's the thing is like he was always the reinforcements, but then he never even did any reinforcing because he was never needed to reinforce. <laughs> like, right. like every time they were like, ah, Mecklinger's on the way, Mecklinger's reinforcements are on the way. It's like, well, that's all well and good, but Binfield's already here, yeah. so right, we'll just throw him at the problem instead. I mean, either <laughs> either way, you guys I wanted. I still can't believe he didn't die. <laughs> Binfield. Yeah. I, again, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't listened to the season three podcast, but I feel like at least by the time of season four, I was already saying, you know what? I don't think Binfield's going to die. He's like literally too dumb to yeah, die. We'll, like, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, you guys, but, uh, you guys wanted more Mecklinger throughout the whole series. Yeah, we got yeah. him. We and, got him. Angry Mecklinger. And he, <laughs> man, yeah, we got, we got both stern principal Mecklinger. <laughs> And like angry, <laughs> grab you by the scruff of your neck. I mean, that was the, that was my favorite part because I wasn't expecting that when he loses his cool a couple times. Right, uh, yeah, it's you know mostly yelling at Bittenfield, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite moment definitely has to be the that last scene where yeah, uh, Mittermeier or not Mittermeier, uh, Bittenfield is uh, getting. Uh, Reinhardt out of that one Car- burning building. His couch out. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. And he's and, and Mecklinger's just throwing all this shade, this like passive aggressive, like great thing that he valued the life more than the millions of dollars of uh, precious uh, irreplaceable art that got burned down in this building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I I would definitely read Ernest Mecklinger's uh, history book <laughs> on this era. 
Yeah. It's not just because of you know the information, but also because of all of uh, Mecklinger's inevitable uh, editorializations of the time period. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, it's a very yeah. uh, just like any time right? Like, oh, yeah. I forgot. To, of course, yeah. I forgot to mention some of favorite moments, but Eisenach speaking. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, 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 God, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> or uh, Eisenach splashing yes. the water on <laughs> on the uh, the bickering bitten field and was, was Eisenach right. was he actually the secret MVP of season four? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, like, again, Eisenach's another one of those admirals that, like, he doesn't get as much screen time as the others, but as far as, as, far as I remember, he has a pretty solid record. Like, I don't... Yeah, all his decision-making is pretty spot-on. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know if he ever actually fought Yang Wenli, but, you know, he never got remember. dunked on by Yang by, in the ways that, like, Bittenfield or, or Lutz or what have you did. Man. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, I think this show had a lot of like, you know, underrated characters who really kind of came into their own this season. I mean, perhaps we should just talk about, uh, I think the character that we all came around on by the end of season four, we, we gave him a lot of shit in season one. We dunked on him time and time again. <laughs> I'll admit even in season four, it is still fun to dunk on him, but credit where credit is due. Bittenfield, man. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been in a Bittenfield stand from like day one. <laughs> I didn't dislike Bittenfield. <laughs> I know. It's I just know. that he is an absurd <laughs> character, even by the standards of this show. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I loved it. <laughs> like, I still can't believe he didn't die, but I was like, I was, oh, I loved it the whole way, you know. It, and he just got better and better, like, the more he dunked on Overstein, you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, I didn't mention it in our favorite moments part, but, like, if I had to actually go with probably one of my favorite moments, it's probably, like, just Bittenfield's entire, like, vendetta against Oberstein in the last third of season four, where it feels like a half to two-thirds of, like, Bittenfield's spoken lines <laughs> they all, they all are, are just about how much he hates Oberstein. <laughs> right. And yeah, We finally get someone saying what we're all thinking. <laughs> yes, and also happy to say it within earshot of Oberstein. Mm. Like, right. just every line out of Bittenfield is a gift in season He literally four. leaps just... over the desk uh, that one time and tackles him yes yeah. or like you know just like 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 there's so many that like you know it's like how in season one when we had our category of best young when lee line i almost like if i had more time i would have compiled a list so that we could talk about best bittenfield line because like there are so many like there's the one where he's like what is it like when a monster and a devil fight you hope both die <laughs> in context of like what was that like rubinsky ver or like the earth like rubinsky versus oberstein or right. something yeah <laughs> Yeah, he had some good, uh, he had some pretty sick burns in uh, season like, four. What was it like? What was it like when he was like at the airport talking loudly about how he specifically intends to not follow <laughs> any of Oberstein's orders? Right. His adjectives are like, Bidfield, please. And he's like, in the Bidfield family, we have an important say. Like, <laughs> just, uh, so. Man. Or like his, his fighting so too, good. where like there's the one, uh, the fight against Royenthal, where. Like he's his lines are about to fall, and then his adjutant turns on the mic, and it's like, if anyone runs away, just shoot him. <laughs> just, you know, just don't care if anyone's in your way. Just fire all your guns. <laughs> it's I. Not that I need Legend of the Galactic Heroes to get more to the specifics of its tactics, but it is like something. It is delightful to me that like on one end of the spectrum you have 
ah, Yang Wen Li, the master of, of, of tactics, all these, all these like elaborate formations, like donut formation and half circle formation that he uses to just like effortlessly dunk on these empire shits. Right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Binfield, who's just like, I am literally too dumb to retreat. <laughs> I don't know how to retreat. Like, right. And like, it's one of those things where it's like, again, I'm not going to go full historical tangent here, but it's like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a merit to that to a certain extent. Like, like, like the majority yeah. of losses in combat are due to morale loss. So mm. if you just never lose morale. I mean, I mean we see him. Right. I mean, we, we kind of joke about how he never wins battles, but when he's not fighting Yang, he does, uh, you know, he's got pretty decent track record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, honestly, he does accomplish, like, you know, things that nobody else would have been dumb enough to <laughs> try. Yes. Basically. <laughs> yes. But I, I, right. but what I, I mean, it's like, if you actually look at like what he does in season four and even three, it's, Benfield might actually be the Empire's most accomplished general, I mean, admiral, by the end of season four. Like, like, like at first, like, oh, that's gotta be Mittermeier, right? But by the, by the end of season four, and we're talking about, like, specific, like, moments, I think Benfield might actually have yeah. more. Yeah, and Mittermeier gets in like, a position like, pretty early where he's not fighting as much, too, right? So, right, I mean, because right. you know, yes, because he, he got he got kicked up to management, so he's not like <laughs> yeah. fighting as much. But you know, like mm-hmm. Binfield is like pivotal to like most of the battles that the Empire fights in season four. You know, it's right. even the very final one mm-hmm. where like up till the up to up until the final battle, usually when it ended up being Binfield versus Dusty, Dusty would usually get one up on Binfield because he would just do his old pretend to run away, then blow up empty like ships tactic, which Binfield would fall for every single time. <laughs> and like in many ways he still did fall for it. Yeah. I mean, he's st- okay, fine. He, he still <laughs> he fell for it. And, and, <laughs> yes, but the important thing Binfield Right, the important thing <laughs> Binfield's character development in season four was he still fell for those tricks. It's just he learned to stop caring. <laughs> yeah. Remember him pretending to be excited at the opera? Oh, oh yeah. yes, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> just complaining about why isn't Methinger here? He cares about all this fucking artsy-fartsy shit. That one, that one weird stretch when Reinhardt got into opera. Remember that? Yeah. God, right. Re- fucking Reinhardt's artsy yeah. phase. Yeah. I'm glad they figured out uh, like we can make this character into the comic relief of the Empire. Because <laughs> yes, yes. I, mean, I think the thing we've always talked about is like the reason why we liked the FPA and the Israelone Republic more is is because they're more personable with each other, right? Like yeah. Dusty and Poplin can talk shit at each other all day. Shen Cobb can make like the worst dad jokes in the world <laughs> and get away with it. You know, uh, even Julian can get on get in on the fun sometimes. Whereas everybody is like not stuffy, but they are so like overwrought in the empire that like, you know, we've said it time and time again. Some of the jokes that Dusty and Poplin jet like like lob at each other. If you try to do that to an empire admiral, they would like pull out a gun and demand <laughs> right. satisfaction. Duel at dawn. But Binfield is so larger than life, so ridiculous, like that he can get away with all the things no other empire admiral could. And I think in that regard, like, makes him work really well as a character. Yeah. I, 
I would have preferred if he had had maybe some kind of foil. I mean, other than Oberstein, I guess. But mm. I, I think that even as a singular character, in as a part of that dynamic, uh, it worked. It worked. Super- I mean, if you're talking foil, I mean, we also had Mueller, who's like the total square. Sort of. Yeah, sort of, that's uh, true. That, that's true. I almost. Uh, you mean fake Kirky eyes? <laughs> right. So. Yes. For for. For better or worse, I kind of forget about Mueller, like especially by the end of season four, because right, but he's he's I like the level like, the level headed one in the group out of out of right. right. So, I mean, somebody has to be the right. boring one while still having right. a level of human self awareness, unlike Oberstein. Yes. yes. Yeah. Now that, <laughs> that like now that Lutz is dead and Volin didn't really do much either in season four, somebody had to be the straight man in that right. group, right? Because. Mittermeier's too busy being a dad and crying about how all his friends are dead. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. Like, we we were joking about it in the recap in, in, in the first half of that, like, you know, uh, Reinhardt rolling deep with the Ghost Admiral crew, but <laughs> that scene actually did remind like, man, Reinhardt actually lost a fair amount of guys by the end of season yeah. four. Right. Like, yeah. Like, it, like when you really think about it, like when your meeting of admirals consists of like guys like Eisenach who literally and, can't even talk. Yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. And, like and, and Mecklinger, like you know, you're kind of not scraping the bottom of the barrel, but you're you are, the bench. You're yeah. reaching deep into the bench. Yes. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Like, like considering what the narrator said about Eisenach, that means that. Eisenach might be Mittermeier's best friend now, now that Reinhardt. Right, <laughs> yes. The, uh, the, 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 the one bit they mentioned of, ah, other than Mittermeier, everyone here had never heard Eisenach speak before. And that's what I keep saying. I need the episode <laughs> in the Guy Dead series about what did Mittermeier hear Eisenach say? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think we've given, we've, we've given Binfield his due, yeah. so. Yeah. Let's uh let's move on to our next section where it gets the it gets a little juicier. Uh, we're going to talk about uh predictions or not just predictions but also cashing in on some predictions we made around season 3. Right. Yeah. So for those of you who have been listening, at the end of our season 3 podcast, uh we ran a Legend of the Glory Heroes death pool where we basically made our bets on which character we think like which not obvious character we thought was definitely going to live and definitely going to die. And we all made our bets. And now, at the end of Season 4, it is time to collect. So, Jell, I believe you have written it down, our yeah, predictions. Yeah, so I, I jotted down the, the, the death pool and also probably a couple other predictions we might want to revisit that were sure. uh, interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's time uh, yeah. for us to get called out. Yeah, so yeah. We, we can go down the, the death pool first, because I think that'll be pretty quick and easy. Sure. Uh, so we each picked... Uh, somebody who is going to live and someone who's going to die. Uh, so um, we'll start. So I think Marlon went first. So Mar- Marlon, your live and die was I think you picked Dusty for live, which yes. was correct mm-hmm. and probably a uh-huh. fairly safe pick by the end of season three. I feel like. Uh, yeah, that's true. Not not a, not a guarantee though. I don't think I don't think Dusty was. A guarantee. I I'm not sure I would have gone as far as so obvious. I think there's definitely a part of me where even in that final battle when Bittenfield decided fuck it, I'm just gonna fuck these guys up. 
I almost thought Murkatz and Dusty might have been a two for one yeah. deal there. I thought that's and where that both the field was going to die. <laughs> well, that that kind of goes to the the uh, your your pick was Bittenfield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was uh, that was so close. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, Bittenfield literally too yeah. dumb to die. Um, yep. I'll throw in a bonus, Marlon. You also said Poplin. Uh, not not oh, officially, yeah. but in other conversation, um, that public yeah. would die. That, that was that yeah. Was the whole oh, yeah. I, I thought you. I, I, oh wait, I was wrong about that. I totally. Huh? How was I wrong? I totally thought he was gonna die too. Like, oh well, I guess he was uh, too Poplin popular. Was, but he was he was cutting it close at the end there too when he was uh went in the final uh boss rush. Yeah. What his fucking counter his fight. With- <laughs> Yeah, I saw the cross counter. I was like, "Oh yeah, he's fine. There's no way." Yeah, and I cannot he's believe after like, like we, we we already got into this. Yeah, like we got into this in the first half, but I cannot believe that like Shenkop gets this like big climactic final moment. We didn't even talk about, but yeah, shout out to Shenkop. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get to him. Dude in a minute, went out like uh, a went out like a beast. Yeah. But uh, like after this big tragic moment with Shenkop, then the episode ends with Poplin cross countering. <laughs> yeah, some random dude. It's <laughs> right. Anyways, Joe, um, continue. So Iro, you you pick Poplin to live, which was correct. Um, and mm-hmm. as a bonus, you also suggested Mittermeier survives to adopt uh, Runenthal's child, which also right on the money. Uh, you did, however, pick Anna Rose for death. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, she was close. Well, we were. Time. Yeah, we we were saying uh, that. All right. We were saying that she would have possibly been a. Uh, uh, play for Rubinsky or somebody or the Earth Cult to take her out to right, piss yeah. off Reinhardt or something, which so there there yeah. was some probable cause there, and she did actually get kind of close at the end there. <laughs> apparently she apparently she has a really good aim with her uh, vase throwing. <laughs> her trophy, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, right. she, just, she just like play trophy catch with Conrad like at her <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, No, no, it's she, like she's it's just, like it's like the, it's she's just played a lot of Hitman. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say it's like a Hitman game. Like when Anna Rose throws items, it automatically walks uh, on the character's head. So. She's she's gonna do something yeah. out there in the cabin in the woods doing nothing, right? So just practicing throwing objects. <laughs> in the cabin. Right. So um, for me, uh, I I I was kind of overlapping with everybody else. I basically said it everybody in the FPA, which was almost except Shenkop, which was almost correct. We did lose Mushengo, I guess. And then uh, yeah. did, uh, was was that it? Other than Shenkop from the FBA side at this point, uh, Shenkop, everyone else lived. Mashengo, Murkats, Murkats, we count. Um, yeah. In terms of like named Iserlone characters, yeah, season four. I mean, they, I mean, they didn't do much because they already died before season four. Right, yeah. I was gonna say it's because most of them were already dead by the time of season four. But yeah, by that point, like the Easter Little Republic largely survived. Yeah. And and the prison riots, I was uh, expecting uh um uh Mir or uh what's that guy's name? Murai? Murai? Or Murai. Yeah, Murai. Or uh or or Sitale. Uh, one of those two to die. But yeah, that didn't happen either. Yeah. Um Sitale goes on to keep his bees again, I guess. Yep. Goes back yeah. to beekeeping. The uh the one I got horribly wrong was I I had Mittermeier and I said he was going to die within the first three episodes. 
Uh, <laughs> that did uh, not happen, obviously. I mean, again, I think that's not so unreasonable. I mean, of an yeah, assumption. We, you guys were most, other than the three episode things, you guys were mostly with me because he was, they were throwing death flags for him all over the place at the end of uh, season. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like they had that one, uh, part where he was like walking home with his wife and there was like a random thunderstorm or something. I'm like, Oh man, he's so <laughs> dead. Very, right. very uh, ominous. But yes. no, he, he made it. So I was, I, I was very wrong on that one. I was, I was convinced too, uh, on that one. Um, right. And then G you said for lives, uh, uh, castle new, which is probably a pretty safe. Yeah, it was pretty safe. Yeah. Uh, that's a family man. And, um, yeah. You you also said uh, Shen Cop for dies, and I I I think that was also pretty obvious. But the I will give you credit because you almost exactly predicted his final wa- words. Uh, yes, I, I got yeah, it slightly. You, you said you said who you know right. who wants the uh, the right to kill you know Walter von Schenkopf, and I think he said you know who wants to the the glory of being the last person that Walter. Walter Von Schenkopf killed or something I, like that. I should, I, I'll admit, I'll admit, I should have known Schenkopf better. Of course, Schenkopf <laughs> wouldn't stay. Who wants right. to kill me? Who wants to be but, killed? Yeah. Wants to be but killed. he still, <laughs> yeah. who wants he's, to be killed? He still, uh, he still died on the pile of bodies. Uh, and basically, we don't, yes. I love, I love how we don't even see that. Nobody even really knows exactly how he died or whatever. They just, they just give that final shot of him sitting there. Uh, I mean, he basically pulls a fucking Ashitano joke. Yes, yes, you know, right? Did he actually just kill everyone and then just bleed out at the end? Who knows? But uh, yeah. Um, and I think I also you also said, said oh, you also oh, said sorry. Oberstein. I had on there, which yeah. which uh, good job, G. Which I I was actually starting Hell to doubt yeah. if, if Oberstein was going to go, and I feel like that was still. So was I, honestly, until the. I thought it was a little touch and go until the the very end on that one, but yeah, that was also correct. I I will admit, I think I did remember. I mean, I think we all thought this, but uh, I will admit, I thought Oberstein. I think one of my predictions was, oh, Oberstein will make his play, will like finally reveal his long con, and it turns out, <sighs> Oberstein's long con was eternal loyalty to Reinhard von Lohengrom, which right. is a bit of a boring <laughs> answer, but... He didn't, yeah. he didn't get to set a bomb off when he dies, like Rubinsky or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oberstein, well, I guess Oberstein's dead man switch? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I it was going to say Oberstein's dead... dog. <laughs> yes, yeah. Ah, you beat me too, it, Marlon. I was literally going to say, he probably has like an auto-feeder <laughs> in his house, and when he dies, it just unlocks the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, there were a couple other predictions I wanted to touch on that we made aside from the, the living and dying. We have to, we have to talk to the biggest and boldest one that Marlon made, which was that Uh, Emil was, Emil was an earth, earth cult plant and was, has been secretly poisoning Reinhardt for half the show, which I will say to Marlon's credit never really got disproved until the very, very end. I mean, you know, as a... As a, as a politician once said, you know, the the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. <laughs> exactly. And... Um, you, you, guys, you guys remember in that moment when Julian and Reinhardt are meeting and Emil brings the uh-huh, tea uh-huh. And, and Julian doesn't drink it? And I'm like, oh man, what if something goes on with the tea here now at the uh, last seconds? And I was yeah. like, come on, I need this. Papa needs a win. Come on. <laughs> So I will say, I'll say to 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 support you, Marlon. I will say I would not be su- if like 
Yoshika Tanaka one day revealed on his deathbed <laughs> that the one secret he held on to that he never revealed about Legend of the Galactic Heroes was that Emil actually was secretly poisoning Reinhardt, and that is the one and only act in that setting that somebody completely got away yeah. with. Huh. Like, I'd be like, I, I believe I, it. I do feel like but... they did not definitively prove that he wasn't doing it, but I think after the Earth Cult being eliminated, I feel like the motive was gone. Uh, right. But... Um, at the the possibility still i feel like never really got ruled I mean, out of the show just not confirming it um and i will say too now that we've seen the show and spoilers are off i was kind of digging around and you're not the only person who have thought that marlon there were other people who had that oh, theory really? out there yeah really so okay. the, like, well, the, the evidence is there like it's look, Ryan, Ryan being <laughs> sick and like dude, this kid's always there make telling him you need to keep eating yeah, we, yeah we had that those all those parts <laughs> yeah. with it, like the narrators like you know and reinhardt would have taken you know three more sips and then he's better the next episode and you're like okay that's 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 you're, you're just playing with us now or yeah. something so and, and like the idea <laughs> that he has these like delusions of kirky eyes and in coincidentally he has this young aide that looks like kirky eyes i mean that's what all that they said he kept he kept these redheads around because they reminded him of kirky eyes yeah, same, I mean, same with the dude who fought Poplin uh, at the end. Yeah, yeah so yes. I mean, I, that was that was a juicy, it was a juicy uh, prediction, but it does not appear, at least not confirmed. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, hell, dude, I'm at the, we are at the end of season four, and I still think Oberstein was probably responsible for Kirkyeyes' death somehow. <laughs> I am, I am there. I am part of the Burrow and Bergen Grun. Oberstein did everything wrong, gang. I still think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I still think Oberstein did it. Okay, he just went to his grave um, with that secret. One, mm-hmm. uh, one more. So Marlin's other big prediction was that uh, the Ruinthal Rebellion would essentially flip the Empire and the FPA, where the FPA territories would become the new autocracy, and uh, the uh, the Empire would become yeah. the new uh, like- Republic. Um, which. Well, well, more that it would become a constitutional, oh, a constitutional monarchy, monarchy, which, which actually, which that actually happen, was moving so, in that I mean, direction. Obviously, the 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 bit with the Ruinthal, the Ruinthal part, part did not pan out because you were saying Ruinthal might actually win, which obviously that didn't go. But uh, did not yeah. happen. But no, they, so right. yeah, so that actually was um, that kind of ties in because Ira, you were on the train too of you know what what if. Julian teams up with the Empire, basically. <laughs> of <laughs> right, yeah, it was not really. Yeah, but it didn't really. Pan I, out. I mean, they sort of did in the last ten minutes. Uh, Julian he, and the crew. I mean, he, he, he literally, he literally said out loud, "I have no obligation of the Empire." Yeah, right. Fair yeah. enough. Yes, but uh, fair enough. but I mean, well, they're pushing towards a constitu- constitutional monarchy at the end. I don't know if that ever actually happens or not. But again, we can probably save that for speculation. Um, the, uh, Iroh took the very easy route and mentioned Reinhardt hooking up with Hilda. That obviously happened. Um, Uh we had the debate of whether Reinhardt has kids or not. Most of us said no on that one. Hmm. And I still feel that the evidence may have supported that at the end of season three. Um, and, um, G, you had the prediction uh, with Julian 
potentially leaving the galaxy altogether and becoming the next Ali Highness. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you, yeah, where, where, you know, he's left with no other options and because uh, he can't beat Ruinthal, he can't beat Reinhardt, and maybe he just pieces out with these alone crew. Uh, well, that definitely didn't happen. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, uh, yeah, well, my, my speculation keeps going because i keep getting hung up on the third ed uh and i was like you know i expected it to happen in season four i have to wonder if it will still happen in you know the future or whatever but uh kind of almost supporting in a similar way g of of julian just you know going out on his own and becoming a you know a solo freedom fighter with his small fleet or something like that but uh right yeah I mean, he basically yeah. is by I, the end of season four, right? Where he makes his declaration that he doesn't intend to retire. Right. He's going to remain I a soldier that, and keep fighting. I thought that was going to happen in season four, which doesn't happen in season four, but it sounds like what he's going to be doing next or something, right? So, um, yeah. And uh, I think that's pretty much it for the, the big predictions. Well, so some, some right, some not right. A mix, Bag. a mix, yeah. uh, you know, to be expected. Uh, I mean, I think some of those are more like things we would have, we would have loved to have seen <laughs> right. rather than things we were sure were going to happen. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know, man, that Emil but... thing. I was so, I, I thought I had like had this galaxy brain take of, man. All I mean, the yes, pieces. you were banging that drum this whole time, man. <laughs> yeah, but oh well. And, and and finding out from Jill that apparently you're not the first person to have come up with that makes me think, oh, maybe there's some people who are listening to this podcast being like, see, I told you. Like, like even these people who are watching it with no knowledge of the show arrived at that well, conclusion. I, like, right. it's totally there. I think, I think the things I saw were like 10-year-old Reddit posts or something, but... Oh, oh, God. Oh, wow. Whoa. Look, the show's I, old. I, yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm. I'm sure you could go all the way back to like some geo pages <laughs> about this. So. Uh, some some uh, uh, anime fan. Add it to add it to the Glory of Japan animation 1995. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like an anime fanzine from 1989. One of the yeah. Exactly. Um. But uh, I mean. I think I think in a lot of ways I think it's fitting that you know it was kind of a mixed bag of results. I feel that that is kind of what made watching Legend of the Galactic Heroes with like barely any knowledge of the series so enjoyable. Like right. because even to the very end, I feel like the story could have gone yeah. anywhere. Uh, it, yeah. it 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 did some sometimes it did the exactly what you thought they were going to do, and sometimes they didn't, and that's what keeps you on your toes. Like, if it's one way or the other, yeah. like if they're just always doing the predictable stuff, that's boring. Or if it's just, like, total anarchy, then that's, you know, hard to tell a story that way. But, like, <laughs> but it's it's right. kind of like real life. Sometimes things go the way you think, and sometimes they don't. And that's... Uh... Yeah, I... If anything, you know, to kind of echo, I think, what we were always talking about as, as early as season one, is that the thing... Legend of the Galactic Heroes does best is that it never it, it never it never rests in a comfortable status quo. Things are constantly changing. Things are constantly evolving. I mean, again, Reinhardt's reign less than two years. Reinhardt's rise to power less than a decade. Yeah. Like remember when Yang said at the very beginning of the series all he wanted to do was like like get like a couple decades of stalemate? Like 
like a couple decades hasn't even passed in this show right it, like right and it's so like much has happened period or something yeah like it's insane <laughs> It's, it, it is it is i mean like if there's anything if like if i was to you know accuse any part of legend of the galactic heroes of being somewhat unrealistic it's like look there have been some eventful decades in in history but i think legend of the galactic the heroes entire upheaval of the entire human race is like <laughs> yeah that might be a bit yeah. much but what I, mean, do I, actually, I guess I, I i mean maybe we could i mean it would be interesting to see what the galactic population was like, and like if we could see a like a similar scale between World War Two and what happened in this show. Because like, didn't like a billion people die in this war, or like over a billion? That seems like Something a lot of like people. That. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, when you you know command a whole galaxy, I guess that sort of makes sense. Like, but, like they but said, yeah. the, the galactic population was like forty-two billion or something like that. And they lost a fiftieth of that. (laughs) That's that's a lot of people. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Look, man, space operas operate on ridiculous (laughs) scales. So, yeah, I mean, we can we can call it unrealistic, but we also have like nothing realistic to compare it to, I guess. But uh, you know, it it does seem that way, especially too, because I like we're in a universe where like even to go from planet to planet might take, you know, a month, <laughs> like, like time is, time is going to yeah. go a lot slower when, you know, when you don't have warp. Yeah. When you can't, you know, instantly <laughs> warp to places and whatnot. Yeah. Um, even if they, you know, they have, you know, faster than light travel or whatever, they can't just like snap their fingers and be at Heineson or something, you know, like it still takes yeah. weeks or whatever. But, um, Right, which is why it's in that I feel like everything happening in that span of time, like, like not not really a complaint, but one thing I would mention is like the weirdly inconsistent rules on how telecommunication works yeah. in that setting. Because yeah. I feel like sometimes it's like, oh no, we can't get a hold of Young. We have to rush to like catch up to him. We can't send him a message. And then other times, Lenkop <laughs> is like skyping with Oberstein <laughs> about how he's going to execute, like he's going to extrajudicially execute right. Yang Wen Lee. And it's like, wait, he, he, right? He's skyping so from like the Heideson farthest reach... possible distance in the galaxy, right? Right. Right. It's like, wait, how do? <laughs> like, it's not like it's Gundam where you could just say Minovsky particles <laughs> did it. Yeah. Like, I mean, the uh, quality was it, very. It, it, bad so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's a little silly sometimes it's like oh there's no way we can reach this guy other than literally physically reaching him and delivering a message and then other times it's like yo what's up on odin i'm over on hyacin like what's good and it's like uh yeah right yeah yeah well, enough of that because we're going to move into uh, what might be our final, our final topic of this podcast. Maybe our longest. Who could say? So, <laughs> if there's anything that we love about Legend of the Galactic Heroes, it's making shit up. <laughs> and so, one last time, one last time, we are going to make some shit up for Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and this topic is called. What does your hypothetical season five look like? So in this scenario, 
you're crossing the street on your way to school and you get hit <laughs> by a truck. Oh no. The driver is asleep at the wheel. But when oh, you wake up, <laughs> when you wake up, you find yourself in the body of Yoshiko Tanaka. <laughs> and, and, and you have been tasked with writing the fifth season of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Actually, what does it do look the, like? What plot element do the do novels introduce? end at the same? Did he write more novels? Yes. Okay. No. I like, I okay. He he did not like, like carry on the story though. Okay. Yes. So so what happens in season five? Yes. What side stories do you introduce? What 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 uh, loose ends do you tie up or address? Uh, what characters get their? I'll, I'll go just because we were kind of touching on what I was uh, what I think the show kind of ended on anyway. Where, well, there's a lot of assumptions that you might automatically make when you know the show ends about what hilda's gonna do and you know assuming that you know everything's gonna be quote-unquote okay (laughs) from there on um you know you know maybe it becomes that you know hilda decides well i can't just flip on a democracy switch and we have to do you know you know do this in stages or you know something like that and that's not good enough for Julian who has to, you know, go on the run again or something. I don't know. Um, but I, I could still very much see Julian being on, you know, with, out with his ragtag ba- band of freedom fighters hanging out on the edges of the galaxy, uh, you know, carrying the, the torch of true democracy or whatever. And, uh, you know, maybe, um, and, and like we hinted at, you know, we don't know what kind of internal strife might develop over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, are people just going to be accepting of, uh, you know, a baby and a woman being in charge of the empire, uh, given what we know right. of the I empire mean, culture? Um, I mean, they yeah. were already uh, they were already, you know, having those discussions of how much power should the Kaiser and have and that, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the like six or seven episodes back or whatever. So like yeah. you know I don't think the the concept of uh Hilda just coming in and everything is going to be this perfect golden age all of a sudden is well it make a very boring story but also uh you know probably not likely there you know there's going to be new challenges and problems to uh to figure out but you know I would I would I would watch a a a, a new season or whatever with the new galactic heroes being Hilda and Julian and, you know, and, and, uh, going from there. Who, who, uh, tracks down Erwin Yosef to, uh, oh, reinstate the golden bomb dynasty. Right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, that's what, yeah. uh, that's what mine would be. Okay. So, <laughs> well, so I have two things. So linked to what I was talking about, before with the manpower loss is literally a manpower loss so there is like a billion less men in the galaxy there's that has to like it did in world war ii create some kind of uh gender-based change in society and the economy that possibly especially with with hilda in charge of the empire maybe there would be some kind of uh like gender rights movement in the empire because you would have all of these, like there's all of these uh, counts that are probably only headed by women now, and you have all of these, you know, women like the the dis- disparity in uh, in the genders in that generation, so like a cultural, yeah. that you, cultural. I mean, like shift. just like 
Yeah, just like like yeah, just like World War One and World War Two. Yes, because of now, the now that both power. like main heads of state are women. Um, yeah, right. And you have women entering the labor force in this uh, hypothetical scenario, right? Or or, or 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 the occupation force, if nothing else. Yeah, and it would and, be interesting because I think that that's something that like a Legend of the Galactic Heroes kind of show could tackle. Is like you know the 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 kind of the tension and the strife between the old male. Uh, the, power force and 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 the new women coming into power and like what kind of dynamics that has and then also yeah we have erwin joseph the second that would have to come into play like maybe there's some far-flung uh you know empire planet that starts to bring back the old golden bond dynasty because they're like a kind of a old-fashioned planet that doesn't want to bow down to these women can you know that kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh boy i mean i i actually there, there are things about this that i actually do like because the mm. the thing that's so good about the erwin yosef reveal in like the final episode is that erwin yosef doesn't even need to be alive for this plot line to go somewhere like she needs some kids way, about the right age right right like all like, like like the thing is that society loves scandals and really all society would need is the rumor that erwin yosef is still alive to like motivate a movement right right hmm. what about you Eero? you got a what's, what's what's season five look like for hmm. you i feel like erwin yosef is the biggest like obvious plot thread for a new like conflict um if you need to have space battles and stuff um obviously like the politics of setting up the new governments and such uh, would be interesting. The future writings mention a lot of space pirates or whatever. Oh yeah, that's right. Schumacher fought space pirates or something. (laughs) Um, Yes. I've watched Schumacher fighting space pirates. (laughs) Uh, Hmm. Former Fazani guys. I don't know. Uh, A lot. I, do, well, I, I do think any future <laughs> show though like unless it did about like some kind of societal change it would have to be after all the characters from the right. current show are dead is there a, is like i'm thinking when i say season five like part of me thinks like continuing immediately off of uh what happened in season four sure uh, like, i'd say it wise but like yeah, for the sake of this experiment, it doesn't have to be chronologically immediately after right. season four. It could say. be like yeah. fifty I, years later. What, yeah, what's the like? What's the fifty-year time skip look like? Right. I, what does what does what does what does High Admiral Julian Minchi in his sixties look like? Right. When he's like looking like Bucock. All right. So here's how it starts. Okay. So you have two fleets about to meet each other. One of the, one of them's three uh-huh. times larger than the other one, or uh-huh, like two times. Uh-huh. And it's headed by a new brash What's empire or empire admiral. Uh, yeah. and, Alexander um, Siegfried von Lohengram saying, yeah. ah, the stars are wonderful, my friend Felix Mittermeier. Oh, yeah. Felix <laughs> Mittermeier's head extends and, and he says, are you frustrated? <laughs> and, and, and then halfway through the movie, uh, the main character has to find Julian Minch who is with his friend Chewbacca on an old oh, spaceship. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that you do not want to stay with the normal characters because it's just going to turn into a Star Wars kind of situation. Fine, fine. Does Felix, like, does, sorry, uh, does Felix, no, like, go ahead. 
does Felix grow up and want to like tear down the empire that that killed his true father? <laughs> I mean, that's probably. the other. Like, that's uh, that's the other the thread they leave open, right? right? Like, like he, yeah, even mm-hmm. as a baby, uh, Mittermeier can see the you know the fire in. Uh, he has he has the right. ambition to take the stars. <laughs> I mean, like, there's even the speculation of like what kind of man does Alexander become, right? Like, does he become like because he without he, he he's going to grow up without never knowing his father, just the expectations of right like right being his father's son. Like, will Alexander Lohengrom be the man who leads from the front, the man right. who is like decisive and he's going to be a, he's going to be a nerd like his like, mom, and uh, Felix is going to be the hothead. <laughs> Middle 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 aged midfield takes Alexander Siegfried aside to teach him how to fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yes, good. I'm glad you brought that up because yes, the one of the, the yes one of the hypothetical episodes I came up with <laughs> was oh like Benfield. Yes, like middle aged like 50 year old Benfield is worried that uh, is that the young Kaiser is uh, kind of a a soft effeminate loser and that he needs to like beat some masculinity into him <laughs> and tries to get him into a sport. And like, he's like, I don't know, like I'm gonna like, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play some baseball. I'll teach you how to catch a ball, kid. And like, you know, hard cut to uh, uh, the doorbell ringing in in the Kaiserin's residence, and the door opens, and there's Bittenfield looking very sheepish, and uh, the young Kaiser with like a black eye or like a missing tooth, <laughs> and being like, I thought he would catch it. God. Um. <laughs> I don't know, fucking Benfield becoming the middle aged like football coach <laughs> of the young Kaiser's life. Just that would be pretty. Trying great. to get him into sports. I and can teach him three D chess, and yes. McLaren can teach him how to paint, and <laughs> and like Mittermeier. Mittermeier is like kind of the cool dad that like Alexander Lohengram kind of wishes was his mm-hmm. dad. Kessler yeah, can yeah, teach yeah. him how know. to ignore prisoners, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or like, I don't know, maybe maybe go the other way around. Maybe Alexander really likes Mittermeier, but Felix is like, oh, my dad's such a fucking goofball. He just makes all these bad dad jokes and like is like so lovey-dovey with, with my mom or something. And then like comes comes the mid-season reveal when Mittermeier and uh, Evangeline finally had to sit down with young Felix and be like, Felix, we have to tell you something. You were adopted. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, no shit, it's in the public record. I got Wikipedia that stuff, man. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Just like, yeah, I Googled that like when I was seven. <laughs> Treason uh, is in my blood. <laughs> oh, God. Also, I hate women for some reason. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I've got a uh, like just goes on 4chan every day. Oh god. Comes an incel. Oh no, that I don't want that to happen. Min Mittermeier's too good of a man. Oh, that that's right. Uh, right. It would be so heartbreaking to Mittermeier if that's how Felix turned out. Can you just imagine though, Felix? Hey Alexander, I got some articles I think you should read about like about like gender politics right. and like the Fazani merchants who control everything oh, from no, the shadows. No. <laughs> oh man. Oh god. Oh man. So the actual so the actual season five I would write <laughs> and not the fucking sitcom I just made up is <laughs> So one of my criticisms one of my criticisms of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and one that I can't really hold I mean, 
I don't think Legend of the Galactic Heroes does this maliciously, but I think that just out of like, I don't, obscuration is not the right word. Maybe just negligence is a show that I feel never really quite did its female characters right. I would agree. Uh, especially Frederica. Mm-hmm. I mean, we complained about it in the first half of the podcast. I'm like, Frederica's last appearance isn't even in the last episode. It's in the penultimate right. episode. She gets invited where to she dinner. Like, yeah, she doesn't even get a... Right, yeah. she like fondly looks at a fondly looks at a photo of Yang Wen Li, and then that's... Apparently that's it for Frederica uh, in history. <laughs> and that doesn't... Like, for me, again, like, I'm not trying to, you know, maybe I'm going a little fanfic here, but I feel like the way Legend of the Galactic Heroes is, like, structured, the way it writes its stories, like, anytime something important or notable happens, the narrator says, people at the time would comment on this event in the years to come. Like, the narrator even brought that up twice in, in like, the last five episodes about just the weather. Like, oh, like, this day was mm-hmm. conspicuously hot, and people would talk about that in the future. Right. Like, if they talk about stuff as coincidental as the weather... You can't tell me the people, not even just historians, but the people of that time period would muse about the coincidence that the two like final governments left at the end of season four were both led by women. Like you can't tell me people would wouldn't like at least point right. that out as a coincidence. And like I would be curious, like what does that look like? Like what does like we never got it, but what does the meeting between Frederica and Hilda look like? Yeah. I mean, like, I'd like to imagine, like, personality-wise, they probably get along pretty well, but, like, when it comes to, like, hardline politics, what does that look like? Like, Frischka, you know, never came off as, like, someone with, like, a like a real aggressive stance, but, like, she she loved Young, and she loved what Young fought for, and that was liberal democracy. Like, she's not gonna, she's not going to compromise on that. And, you know, what about Hil- on Hilda's side of thing, right? Like, on one hand, you know, she is definitely more open-minded than Reinhardt, but, you know, she was born and raised in the Empire. Like, it, like on some, like, subconscious level, that will influence her politics and her beliefs. And I would be really curious, like, what do the next five years look like, where, like, Hilda is rebuilding Heinesen and, like, I mean, I mean uh, uh, Frederica is rebuilding Heinesen, and and Hilda is, like, trying to deal with, like, the polit- you know the potential like political quagmire and infighting that was caused by Reinhardt's kind of like uh, kind of mushy like imprecise succession rules yeah there's a lot yeah. to uh <laughs> a lot to dig in there but yeah i know i i agree like it, it is yeah. weird that like there's no even just Frederick not being in the last episode like that's so weird that that there's no acknowledgement of how you know in this universe, this mm-hmm. is a very strange event. This is a very unique event. Mm. Uh, right. Yeah. Like, the equivalent would be, like, imagine if, like, in the Cold War during, like, the 80s, if, like, you know, the prime minister of the Soviet Union and the current U.S. president were both women. Like, it's it, it would be, like... Because the regardless- leaders all died... Right, like regardless of like their actual quality as leaders, people would at least point it out. Right. Like they would like comment on it. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know, for better or worse, that would be considered a notable historical moment in and of itself. And so, yeah. you know, it it's just a shame because like again, both women are described as like, you know, like competent, intelligent yes. individuals. And so, what do they do? Because both basically inherited the dreams of the men they loved right like they both for better or worse they 
Mm-hmm. Like that is the legacy they inherit from the men they loved is the po- political ideologies that they fought and died for. And yeah, what does that look like? I mean, it's definitely consequence of this series being written in like the early eighties. Feel like right, like again, like I'm definitely not trying to imply. Oh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is sexist, or that Yoshi Katanaka right, right. is sexist. But like again, that's why I say it's not malicious. I think it's just negligent. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. like oh, it didn't occur to him that maybe that could be something interesting to write about. Right. Uh, and then kind of related to that is, you know, right? Like Julian said, he's going to remain a soldier to fight against autocracy, and I'm kind of beginning to wonder. Like, remember, like. As much, for every, like, Mittermeier and, like, Mueller and even, like, Bittenfield, like, you got your grill Paulsers and Napsteins, right? Like, like remember the conversation they had, like, about, like, how as this, you know, era of war turns towards peace, there will be less opportunity for men like us to rise through the ranks. And how do we know that, like, sure, Hilda thinks it's important to enforce this treaty of, like, of leaving... Heinison and Autonomous Zone, but how many like small time Empire Admirals are going to be like, oh, but I could win glory and honor for myself right. if I just like, you know, yeah. mosey on over to Heinison right. and beat them up for a little while. And like, how would right. a, how would Soldier Julian? Yeah, because, because Hilda, uh, that's kind of, I, I guess I was kind of trying to get into that a little bit earlier, but like Hilda has the loyalty of, you know, like Mittermeier and like the top guys, but there's a lot of people in the empire. <laughs> like is, you know, is yeah. everybody just going to accept this situation or are they going to see this as an opportunity for themselves to, you know, you know, they wouldn't have tried anything with Reinhardt around, but Oh no, no, no a woman's in charge. We can, you know, do what we want or whatever. Yeah, uh, you I know, mean, I think there's a lot of potential for that happening. Totally. I mean, the, the the tragedy is that honestly, like they don't really they don't really imply this, but Reinhardt's death would immediately open up a power vacuum, like right. not just within the Empire itself, like <clears throat> everyone would be trying to like get in on that, right? Even Fazan, you know, like like mm, people would immediately right. start to try and fill that vacuum in one way or another. And honestly, like the tragedy is like realistically. They probably fight another civil war in the next decade, right? Like the yep. empire, mm-hmm. like just because Man. you know w- when you have a ruler like Reinhard die on the terms he does, and again, not really leave behind a good set of written instructions on how to pick your next successor. When you literally said, like <laughs> on a mic, like if my son isn't qualified to rule, then you're allowed to usurp him. Like dog, he's a baby. Like. He- <laughs> What if he doesn't even have time to become competent enough to rule the galaxy because you set the precedent that it's okay to shoot a baby and become the new Kaiser? Like, right. Yep. I'm just whatever happened like, to Kaiser and Catherine or whatever. Uh, they kind of just. Yeah, I actually don't even remember. <laughs> it's probably just being taken care of by a maid, I guess. That does make me think of like ten years I in the future. I could not tell you. Like, you know, since since uh, since Reinhardt did say that anyone ten years up and, and above is an adult, that like because he said that the emperor will always have to be in charge of the army, like there's a civil war and they just have this kid on the little admiral throne in the in the battleship, being like, "What do we do, guys?" Oh, <laughs> in God. the middle of a fight. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, it's like it's one of those things where it's like, for better or worse, you know, Reinhardt really. 
leaves the empire and kind of like like in a yeah. weirdly unstable position honestly like like he has left behind very competent individuals like Mittermeier and Hilda but the context of the the the, the world you left for them is actually right. weirdly contentious. And that's what I was saying like right. it's easy to just assume oh well Hilda is in charge and she has Mittermeier and I'm sure they'll do a good job and yeah they'll probably do the best they can but like just to assume that that's everything's going to go well that's not how things go that's pretty much what the entire series has been proving <laughs> like there's there's so many right. yeah factors in play it's impossible to say you know what's going to happen yeah his the legend of right. history begins <laughs> exactly exactly no matter yeah. no matter the time no matter the age the deeds <laughs> of men remain the same yeah <sighs> well i think with that i think we're going to start wrapping up this podcast, but uh, just in case, if anybody here has any final stray thought that, that they didn't get a chance earlier to say, like the, the podium is open. This is your last chance. So did any of us figure out how to say the name of the Kaiser's temporary residence on Fazan? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, not nah. even close. I was going to say, can anyone here pronounce, uh, can anyone here pronounce uh, Sone's last name? <laughs> uh, Soul's Critter or whatever? Like, I yeah, can't or, even... Or what Nui <sighs> Sansushi actually is pronounced like. <laughs> Did we ever figure that one out? Basically, how just much... just call it New Sansushi, but... <laughs> basically, how much... Uh... We just call Basically, it how much German have we butchered in the process of the past? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, it would episodes. be. Uh, I can only imagine Aqua listening to us pronounce these names. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, we're all Americans. We're all dumb Americans who speak exclusively English and maybe not even that good English in and of itself. So, what could you really expect from us at this point? I mean, you know, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure even the original Japanese like pronunciation of German is probably hilariously butchered too, right. let's be honest. I mean, oh yeah, like yeah. Well, what's the German the first opening which is complete garbage like makes right. no goddamn yeah, sense. Like it's, like it's apparently not even like a functional German sentence. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, all right. Well, if that's all said and done, then I think we're going to finally finish this up. So we're finally going to – this is this is the last conventional podcast, the last conventional episode of Legend of the Glorio Heroes. To all you listeners, thank you so much, you know, for, for sticking with us. It's been an honor. Thank you for all the comments, and thank you for pointing out all the things we missed we miss a lot of things, even in these three-hour podcasts, but it's been a ride, and I'm glad you stuck along all the way. You know, it's it's the end of an era, but we're not quite done yet. So we're still figuring out the details of when it will air, but we have one last Glorio Heroes podcast left, where we're going to basically kind of talk about our thoughts and feelings about the series as a whole. That doesn't mean we're going to be recapping seasons one through four, but more we'll be getting into our thoughts and feelings about the show as a whole, its place in history, you know, the themes and kind of what they represent, you know, kind of like similar to our season one recap podcast. Why, why does this uh, story stick with us, you know, and uh, really just lay it all out, lay it all out there on the field, basically, you know, just to, 
just uh, completely empty the tank uh, on all of us on Legend of the Galactic Heroes. So that's probably going to come out sometime next year. It may not come out in two weeks like this one. We're still figuring out the scheduling, but but we definitely want to get to that. So, you know, stay tuned. Uh, but with that, I think that's going to do it. So as always, you can listen to the podcast and read the rest of our content at theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. You can also check out the podcast on YouTube. Additionally, it is available on Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, everywhere podcasts are aggregated and distributed. Uh, You can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and VRV. And... uh, Oh, yes. And then if you liked this podcast and you just you loved our takes so much, you can't get enough of them. uh, Consider checking out our sister podcast, The Glorio Chat, where we're which uh, hasn't aired in a while because we're all busy with the holidays. But I promise it's coming back soon. And we're going to got some year end podcasts coming up or year end. Yes, we have. Yes, we got some we got some scorching hot takes on the anime of 2019. Uh, You can also listen to Glorio's King of the Kaiju. Where our, a couple of our Glorio British correspondents talk about um, big rubber suits. And uh, I think that's going to do it. So, Jell, Marlon, you. thank you for joining us. Thank you. Iro, my, my co host, my, the, the, my mirror, my shadow, my whatever other uh, uh, metaphor I could come up <laughs> with for my, <laughs> for my counterpart, my, my traveling buddy. Uh huh. My plus one in the sea of stars. <laughs> Thank you for accompanying me on this journey. Thank you for listening to my dumb idea about how we should do a podcast uh. <laughs> about this 110 episode anime that we've been watching for over a year. Uh-huh. You know, thank Very you for idea. agreeing to put on my conquest is the sea of stars at your house <laughs> all those all those months ago. Over a year ago, uh-huh. now, right? When we barely even knew these characters. Damn. It's a. Uh, it's been a ride. It's been it's been a ride, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it with anyone else. But uh, one more one more trip, one more <laughs> one more left. And I keep saying one more, but also I'm gonna be real. We haven't watched the Guy Den series nope. yet. And, okay, like, we're gonna cut this off for right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making any promises, but we are definitely. I'm not saying we're gonna record a podcast, but we're definitely watching the Guy Den series. Mm. And um, the last oh shit! I'm sorry. I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Sorry, we got to go back. Oh, I got one last plot line. To tape. Five. All right, all right. One, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep running this. I'm gonna keep running this. Tape. I'm, I'm the host. I can do this. I can do this. One last plot point for season five. Schumacher <laughs> goes back to his farm on Fazan and finds that his men have 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 split apart and gone their separate ways. Uh, uh, and he said he went MIA to fight against some space pirates. Well, let's well, 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 let's say he was boarding that ship and was fighting the space pirates, and he ran into one, one, one orange-haired drifter who just wouldn't stop making jokes about his age and women by the name. And, and it turns out it was none other than famous space pirate Olivier Poplin, who is uh, retired from from the Israelone fleet. And uh, the two team up to uh, to go on space adventures and find uh, Schumacher's remaining crewmates. 
So uh, tune in for that 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 spinoff that that arc in season five where uh, sure. Schumacher and Poplin team up to to, to fight crime. Uh... But uh, okay, now that I've got that out, <laughs> so, so now I can say thank you all, thank you all for accompanying this us on this journey, and uh, one last time, I will see you all amongst the sea of stars. Thank you.